Here we go. Well, here we are. Another episode of I've Known You Too Long. My guest today is Nathan Turpin. Nate used to play in a band called State Route 522, and after that, Sharks Keep Moving. And he also had a part in The Edge of Quarrel, which is going to be very common with a lot of the guests on here since I pretty much populated that entire movie with friends. Um, but it's an important part, even though it's a small part. Uh, <laughs> we're going to get right into this right now. Nate's actually currently in a band called Hand of the Hills, and we'll get talking about that also uh, towards the end of the podcast. Nate, welcome. Thank you very much. Nate, I've known you too long. Way too long. <laughs> <laughs> I, th I think that every day. Now, I've known you, so, this is the common one, I've known you so long that I can't remember when we met. And I cannot remember at all when we met. It's Good. like a blank. Good, because I, I, was, I was wondering if you were going to remember it, because I don't either. Oh, I was really hoping you were going to be like, no, it was this night and this. Nope. You're not that memorable. I'm sorry, my friend. <laughs> no, I mean, I, you are memorable. Well, well, thank you. Uh, maybe I don't know. I, you know, I know it, it had to have been. I mean, I know kind of the range of what it would have been. Here's what I know about you. It was going to be a show. It was a show. Yeah. Here's what I know about you. All you right. become the bass player of Sarah Five Twenty Two. Nope. You never played bass in State Route Five Twenty Two. I did actually. Technically, I did play bass in State Route Five Twenty Two. But that was only for one show, maybe two, but I think it was just one show. Okay, it... so that's where we're at. Because you were playing guitar later. No, no, I played guitar first. Okay, you played guitar and I then played, you... I played, so, so all right, uh, <laughs> State Route 522, actually, yeah, I started playing second guitar in that band. Ah, and that's how you were brought into the band. That was how I brought, was brought into the band. They were a three-piece, were... Jake Cindy and John Michael Jerome Farley. <laughs> <laughs> Who, John, if you ever listen to this, man, hit me up. I miss you, man, so much. I really do, sincerely. Seriously. Sincerely, yeah. That's yeah, awesome. Sincerely. Um, yeah, no, they oh, were- Oh, I wasn't questioning it. I was saying seriously. Yeah. I love, I love the idea that that will be happening for I, these, I hope these so. I hope so. Um, yeah, no, they were a three-piece, and Jake and I were really, really close friends, and he actually, I mean, I had been going to shows and things like that throughout some of high school and stuff, but it was sort of like- I don't know, punk rock undercover or something where, you know, I, I didn't really know anybody and I would go to all ages shows and stuff by myself. Okay. And, so were you going to shows when it was pillow? Uh, I was, that's when, when I make, met Jake, he was in pillow. Yes. Okay. So I, when I met Jake, he was in pillow also. Yeah. And that's how you guys became friends. We, well, I met, I didn't meet Jake at shows. That's the thing. I met Jake at sub shop in Woodenville. So ah. I, I, I was, I was, uh, I got kicked out of my house because I didn't have a job. And okay. so I was told I had to get a job. So there was a guy at school who happened to be manager at the sub shop in Woodenville. And Woodenville, I was in Bellevue. Woodenville was way too far away for a job, but I needed a job. Yeah. So I went to this guy and I needed it quick because I had just been kicked out. So I went to this guy. I don't even remember his name. Jake might. But he, I said, hey, I got kicked out of the house. I need a job. I know you're a manager somewhere. Can I have a job? And he's like, oh, yeah, let's do it tomorrow. Come by. So I went to Woodenville and walked in the sub shop and the dude was like, yeah, OK, here's your job. You're going to make sandwiches. And here's the guy who's going to train you cutting tomatoes or whatever. And it was Jake. And it was Jake Snyder. OK, now hold on. So do you know the date of that? 
No. Can you narrow it down? 93 late? 94 early? 94 early. 94 early. Must have been 94 early. Okay. Because he was still in high school and I had just graduated. Okay. So, all right. He was, he was, he's a year younger than me. And this was just after graduation. How long were you at home before your parents said you had to get out if you didn't have a job? Uh, well, I had moved out right after graduation, uh, pretty close right after graduation. You graduated in 93. Yeah. And I was out for a little while. Um, and then, uh, I was living in a one bedroom apartment with two other guys. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I had a couch in the dining room. Sure. Dining room table area called the Cadillac. That's that was my bed. And uh, were you going to shows already at this point? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I was going to shows in high school. Old Firehouse. Yes. Things okay. like that. Yeah. And, and you and don't... Some, some, some in Seattle when they do the, the all ages like OK Hotel and stuff like that. Okay. But you don't remember specifically meeting me or anyone from Undertow or say 1007 Red Rocket? I met you guys. Not... Well, I don't know if... Nothing meaningful. Like I pretty much went to shows and was quiet. I went to shows, watched and didn't interact with anybody and then right. went home. It was sort of this weird thing that I did. Nobody I went to and school listen, with. And listen, there are hundreds of people who did that. Yeah. That we don't know. Yeah. But you went from being that person to being a friend of mine. Yes. And being involved in this scene with all of the different people. And Jake Snyder is clearly the key. And I'm pretty sure he said, yeah, Nate's in the band. You know Nate. He would do that. He would say, this person, and then you know this person, right? And we met prior to me being in the band. Right. I know that. But he wouldn't have been like, do you know this guy, Nate, that cuts tomatoes? No, no, no. He would have... Brought you to my attention. Well, almost immediately when I started there, we, I mean, at least I liked him. I don't know what he thought, but we started going to shows together. Right. And uh, that must have been it because he actually, he played music and knew people. And so that was sort of my introduction to actual people at these shows of interaction was that sort of like, I guess, introduction from him. I don't know. But I know I met you at shows because I started going to more hardcore shows. Like he and I were going to a lot of hardcore shows together. Right. And I had been to hardcore shows prior, but we were going to a lot. Right. And so that's where I met you. I mean, it must have been, I don't know. It might've even been, it could have been a show at Magic Studios. Remember? Strain, Undertown. Yeah, it could have been, it could have been that. It could have been the Firehouse. I don't know. I'm going to say, I'm going to say it was during the Magic Summer of 1994. Oh, it definitely was. Okay. No, no, we met at that point for sure. Yep. That would have, yeah. Spring or summer for sure. Carrie Whitney was around. Oh yeah. You, you associate Carrie Whitney and I in about the same, the same group of people. Oh yeah. All, all those people. I mean, that was, we all. Okay. Cause she shows up uh, that beginning of that summer also. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. That's good enough. I do not have a handshake or, or anything. Nope. Memory of you, but do you have a general sense of knowing me in that first, say six months to a year? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Right away. And I what think, is it? What is it? Is it like who the what's with that fucking guy? No, no, no. It was uh that guy runs excursion. Yeah, but that's not you an opinion of me. Oh, yo, who you were? Yeah. Well, you wore a black cardigan sweater. <laughs> you were a weirdo. I don't You saw me wearing a black cardigan sweater? If anyone comes on here and says they didn't see you wearing a black cardigan sweater, then they did not know you at all for long enough because if you, you saw me wearing a black cardigan sweater, it was probably because I threw it on to come over to Todd's house when you were hanging out like a no, year later. At you the no apartment. no no no. You think you, I wore a black cardigan to shows all the time? All the time. You wore a black cardigan sweater. You worked at Kinko's and you wore a black cardigan sweater. Oh no no! I wore the sweater to work. Yeah, and and I saw you at work, and yeah, you yeah, would yeah. like go to things after work. You didn't take okay, it off. Okay, no, that's 
That's fair. Yeah, yeah. That's fair. But there's a lot of photos of me out there in the world that shows. Without it. Without a black no, party I know, sweater. I know. So if it was as ever present, I would have I been just mean, much like, more excited if you said I wore a trench coat. I'm just, no, no. Because I wish, if I could go back and do one more thing. You want to be a trench coat guy. I'd put trench, I'd have a lot more trench coats. A duster, maybe. Perhaps. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> no, no. You were a cardigan sweater guy. And that's, that's what okay, I'm saying. This if is what I was looking for. You, you have this funny, no one else has brought that up. Well, that's because they're trying to, they're trying to forget about it, I guess. They blocked it out. I don't know. I, I, I think I still have it. It's kind of one of those, well, of course you did. Do you, have you gotten rid of it? anything you don't even cut your hair anymore i mean come on like that's what i'm saying is if anybody actually knew you back then they saw you in a black cardigan sweater because because if they were doing anything in music they went to kinko's where you worked you know what i mean like somebody everyone saw you in a black cardigan sweater (laughs) and i think like khaki pants now i have a until i i know that i like you yeah i have a sense of you as kind of a troublemaker me Yes. I was obnoxious for sure. That's, and that's, it's, look, I knew a lot of people like that and it didn't mean I didn't like them. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. But I, I, I only have a vague sense of, um, of just, you're going to, you are going to say things that are far more unacceptable than the rest of the people we're hanging out with. Like mean or uncomfortable? Oh, a rainbow of different <laughs> options of I things that I, you'll say in I mean, this situation. I, hope, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've, oh, you know, you get older and you, you think about yourself and you, you change as a person and no, whatever. No, no, and I'm not trying to uh, insult no, you. No, no, I'm not. I don't feel insulted. I'm just saying like, I, you know, I got, I've gone back and I, you know, I'm, I think I'm a better person today than I was before, but you know, like I don't think I was ever a bad person. Or no, a mean but there kind of has to be that guy sometimes. But I definitely, it's a no, role. well, Matt, Matt Matsuoka, you 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 mentioned heartbreak beat I think on one of these I listened to, and uh, the part never came to light. But I remember being approached by him and asking me if I would be willing to at a party scene like play. I don't remember if it was a drunk character or whatever, but but pee my pants like just right there, just <laughs> piss my pants and like really do it, not like with some trick or whatever. Right. And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Because that's a, yeah. Did I mean, you do it? No, no, we never. It, I don't. I don't that was a, okay. It, so it's not even a cutting room now, floor thing. It just didn't you, happen. You're jumping ahead a year and a half. I'm just I'm just saying like yeah. I mean right. I I definitely would. I I had no problem. You were someone saying who's... something or doing something. right. Sure. You were down for a little bit more. Okay, so. Close. That's as close as we're gonna get. We're gonna sure, get. Sure. We're gonna say summer '94. Yeah. Magic time shows. Yes. Maybe even at Magic Studios. If you remember Magic, there were only a couple Magic Studios shows, yeah. and they shows, and they were a big deal. Yeah. Um, the Undertow Strain Serenity show was yeah. huge. Oh, yeah. Do you remember the 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 massive stage dive that yep. just kept going and going, and the top of the crowd collapsed? Yep. There's video of that out there, and it's so wonderful. So many good shows. I mean. Yeah, and I mean, there was like the Big John's house. There was there was sure. all that stuff going on. It was a great summer. It, it was. Okay. And for years after. Oh, yeah. All right, but this is the point where sure. we go back because we're going to find out where sure. you came from, who you are. And I apologize in advance for this being your worst podcast to date. <laughs> no, I'll be. Where'd you come from? Uh, Well, a womb originally. <laughs> where? Uh. I was born in Seattle and started life there. So you're a local. Yeah. Like full blown. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, And uh, my parents lived in Tacoma actually first um, and then moved to Seattle, had me. 
I think had one of my siblings there too. Yeah, no, right. My brother Josh was born in Seattle too. And then we were moved to uh, Lake Hills in Bellevue. So you grew up in Bellevue. I grew up in Bellevue. Yeah. East Side kid. East Side. Yep. Okay. Like so many. Um, what was your what was your childhood like? Uh weird. I was a weird kid. Like uh, I'm surprised. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so what's funny is though that like you know I guess whatever loud, obnoxious, vocal, whatever you want to say. I wasn't that way until high school or whatever. I was actually very much a weird kid that was sort of scared to go out and play with the kids when I was really young. So really, yeah, yeah. So you kind of come in your own in high school. Uh, yeah, I would say middle school, actually, now that I think about it. Middle school. And, and yeah, because sixth grade, 11 years old, was when I started listening to, like, punk rock and hardcore, you know, Bad Brains. and You listened Black to Flag. the Bad Brains when you were 11 years old in the sixth grade? Well, no, maybe not Bad Brains. That probably came a little bit later. But Black Flag, mm -hmm. uh, The Germs, Circle Jerks stuff like that that's came. earlier than a lot of people yeah and but it was but it was all over the board sixth grade was when that stuff hit for me because there were some older kids in the neighborhood and some kids at school too and so i was getting into like uh metal stuff too metallica um testament uh whatever but then i was also listening like grim reaper and stuff like that in middle school you know so it was all across the board okay. and then what and then you, like joe you... jackson and stuff too well you know? whatever yeah did metal come before punk because that's usually how it works. I think they came really at the same time. Or you're a weirdo and you like like new wave music and you think the cure is really cool and then you end up then you get into hardcore and you well, end up wearing a cardigan. But that's the weird thing is that I mean I liked all that stuff. I mean my my parents were both musicians and so I grew up listening to like Blood Sweat and Tears, Doobie Brothers, uh, all that stuff. Did you, you know, play music Tower when you were Power. a kid? No, no. I mean I I took. I did, you know, I did clarinet and band and which was dumb and hot cross buns and whatever, you know, like I did that. I think I took, I tried to take guitar lessons at one point, maybe elementary school. And I think I did two lessons and was like, this is the dumbest thing. And so, no, I, I never did. I think my mom tried to teach me piano. I loved music, but I just didn't want to do any of the stuff that you needed. You know, it wasn't like, it wasn't like you could just grab one and do stuff at that time. Like at that age, no one told me I could just make make stuff up or whatever. I don't know. And there wasn't anything that I wanted to copy at that point either. Right. Until I was older, till I got into punk rock and stuff like that. Well, and I, I want to get a sense, one sense of you in sure. grade school. Oh, okay. Um, Because you said you, you were afraid to go out and play with kids? Yeah, I was weird. I was very... I mean, I had some sort of learning disabilities and things that were pretty difficult when I was very young. So, like, uh, you know, I think I think they actually thought I was retarded. I think, I think I remember that story, like, in first grade or something. You're still cool with using that word. Well, that's, that's what they said. Well, that's, that's what it was back then. <laughs> that's what the school said. Well, I think they told my mom, we think he's retarded. Right. You know, like, that was the thing. And, and uh, then you know, figured out I had some pretty severe vision problems. So like I was, you know, very slow at picking stuff up or whatever. I had real struggles. So I hated going to school. I mean, right. I guess, yeah, I guess grade school, I don't know what grade it was. It was very young, but uh, I remember like refusing to go. Like I wouldn't get dressed. I'm sitting there in my tidy whities will not get dressed. And my dad's like freaking out and I'm freaking out and whatever. And he grabs me, drags me outside, throws me in his work truck in my underwear, no shoes or socks or whatever, drives down to uh, Child Protective Services, which happens to be or or whatever it was, juvie, I don't know, 
which happens to be like a couple miles away, and then like gets out of the truck, grabs me, walks me to the front door, sets me down, and goes walks back to get in the truck. <laughs> and I'm like running after the truck as he's driving towards the exit of the wow. parking lot, going, I'll go to school, I'll go to school. Because he's telling me, you, you go to school or you go to jail, and here you go. You're going to jail in your underwear. Wow. And you yeah. get a job or you get kicked out. And the, that, yeah. That, stern. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But not really. I mean, they were hippies. That was the thing about it. But it was just, it was, I don't know. It was a thing like, all right, so yeah, I I did some vandalism in middle school. That was pretty dumb. And with some metal kids and uh, we got ratted out and I did very little of it, but I still was involved. But okay, hold on. All right. How old exactly? Seventh grade. Seventh grade. What was the vandalism? Uh. A couple of metal kids, Heshers, had stolen a couple of dictionaries from the library, and we took them into the <laughs> That's bathroom. Common, common metal thievery. They were like peed on and torn up and thrown in the urinals, and like I think a mirror was smashed, and like we put wrote wrote stuff on the walls and ice cream, <laughs> like that kind of a thing is dumb. Okay, and you were just I got Saturday. I got the... I got suspended in Saturday school. Wait, wait you okay? No, we're gonna. I'm going to go through this the way you said it. Oh, sure, sure. You did some vandalism. Yeah. So it wasn't as much graffiti as it was destroying dictionaries, fighting against the, the definitions. You can't tell me what stuff means. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So so that's so you're doing that. In our acid-washed jean jacket. And these metal kids are, are just dragging you along, right? Well, no. I mean, I, wa- I walked in when they were starting it, and I was like, hell yeah, I'm in. Oh, uh, okay. So you, it, you would just... You were passing by and jumped in. It was an it was opportunistic. Yeah, it was like, all right, here's a real opportunity to do something worthwhile. <laughs> then you said you got ratted out. Yes. I want. How did you get ratted out? Why didn't you get away with it? Uh, well, it was one of the, I went to an alternative middle school, one where you call your teachers by their first names, and you your homeroom serves as you know it's all done by consensus. So like we had this process called bringing up. You would bring somebody up, you know, as like a topic. You'd put the you'd put your name on the agenda, uh, on the board, and then you'd go through the list and go, oh, you know, whatever. Veronica has something. Has this something. sounds awful. It's the worst. Although <laughs> I will say that. I when I got there I was like quiet and weird and kind of introverted, you know, just a total antisocial goofball and uh when I left I think the school had a lot to do with oh. bringing me out of the, my shell by well, basically d- figuring out how completely fucked the school was and stupid and then But you would put your name on the list rebelling though. no I wouldn't You never brought anything up? No, but I got brought up. That's that's where this came from. Somebody told somebody. I but I did when I started to learn how to exploit the system and stick up for myself and whatever and so uh, and just be a total jerk because it was a waste of time. I I was told like in 7th grade at a meeting because they do these teacher parent student conferences that the policy of the school is that you can't be held back unless the teacher, the student, and the parent all agree on it. So I was like, wait a minute. So you have, I have to agree to be held back? And they're like, yeah, <laughs> we would make the decision together. And I'm, and I'm saying, so if you, both of you wanted me to be held back to not pass the grade and I disagreed, I would move forward. And they're like, yes. So I didn't do one goddamn thing after that, you know? 
So I used to get, so I, I found out that we were as part of another school, like we were on their campus. We were a small school on a bigger school's campus. And so they had a lunch, two lunch periods and their second lunch period was the same time as our homeroom, uh, like where you would do all the bringing up. So I figured out fairly quickly in, it must've been eighth grade, beginning of eighth grade, that if I just like totally tried to stop the system, if I tried to break it down, if I would not give consensus on anything, that they would very quick, it would break down immediately. And the whole class would immediately do a vote to uh, to take away my voting privileges or kick me out. Ah. And so I would get myself kicked out every day and then go hang out for another another <laughs> period. Another lunch period. Yeah, just go hang out and do whatever because I didn't want to be involved in it. And it was like, and I could do anything. I mean, I had to take a real math class and a remedial math class in my first year of high school because I didn't do anything. And I was like... You had to catch up. So I was drawing stuff in the bubbles on the math placement test. I didn't know it was a math placement test. I didn't care. <laughs> Eighth grade. So, so I actually got a real math class, but then had to do like addition, subtraction, multiplication sheets. Right. You know, work oh, through God. these workbooks. Yeah, no, we were doing those in like second and third oh, grade. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. It was like that. And I had to go all the way up through like long division. Whatever. I don't remember what it was. I, we, I we finished used to all get, the books. Um, if we passed all the way through the division, the multiplication tables. Yeah. Um, we'd get to go get a, have a Sunday with the teacher. Oh yeah. Yeah. Did they do that when no, you were in no. high school? No, but they wouldn't <laughs> let me out until I completed the course. So I literally sat there and worked through all these stupid workbooks that were so ridiculous while I'm taking real math right. and, and everything else. Okay. Let's, and, um, let's, yeah, let's no, jump let, back though. Yeah, please. You got ratted out in this process. I got ratted out. And how did this person know you had done it? Word of mouth. I mean, the word got around. You were a kids bad are kid. Now. No, kids are stupid. You know, like, like whatever the heck. It wasn't me who told. I didn't want to get in trouble. It must have been one of the Heshers bragging and somebody fell out with somebody or whatever. But I mean, we had. Did they go down too? It, oh, yeah, we all did. But it was one of those things where the school was small. So we, we and, and like, you know, that like we're all going to talk this out. So we had multiple assemblies of the whole school trying to figure out who did this. Oh. I think they also I think one of the things they did that I didn't know, but they actually stole from like the biology lab or something like a pig fetus or something and <laughs> like smash that. So I think that was found too, destroyed some like specimens uh. of something. So it was like a little gnar gnarlier than just the books and ice cream and a mirror but well, it, that's what those evil messages in that metal musical do so yeah yeah exactly so it was it was somebody figured something out ratted us out and, and but but so this all started with how my parents were sort of hippies right yeah. so like the deal was that like i got in trouble i went home and told my parents what was going down and and like came clean and said this was really stupid don't know why i did it blah 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 i this is what i did this is what's going to happen you know and that was my punishment we talked about it they said what did you learn what you know whatever you know that was the thing like that was the punishment was that i felt bad that i knew what to do next time that i felt really bad about and, it and it and it worked and it worked wow that's impressive well i mean that's also no, I testament got, to who you are as a person. Well, I got off for sure. I mean, like I would have said anything. <laughs> <laughs> I knew. See, I, I was calculated. I mean, I knew that that was going to that was going to work. And so when this was going on, you had already heard punk rock music. Yeah. So what was the? Do you remember? Like, was it a cassette tape that someone brought you? Oh, or yeah. Was it... Yeah. It was all cassette tapes, like bad copies, like mixtapes, whatever, you know. But do you remember a point where it changed, where you went, oh, this is something different, I like this? Because punk rock music, 
there's no like natural progression into it with the music a young kid would be listening to on the radio. The second I heard Black Flag, I was in love. That, that was, sound. You I just was, heard I was, that sound. I was and... skating and, and doing BMX stuff too. Okay, and so skateboarding. Skate skate videos and stuff like that. You know, I we didn't okay. we didn't have a lot of money, but uh, you know, my my good friend at the time who I skated with, and I was getting, you know, like hand me down decks and stuff like that, because I didn't have money for all that stuff. And uh but he like, you know, he was kind of a rich kid, so he had skate videos and stuff. You know, we right. watched Bones Brigade and and uh, like that, you know. Okay. You definitely that was got it. the yeah, connection yeah, yeah. in there. That makes sense. And it just I guess it's weird. Like uh for me it was a bit later, you mm. know. Um and it's weird when I think back though, once I heard punk rock music when I was like a teenager and it changed everything, I remember back to things I had heard and, and had been confused by it. Like I remember hearing the Sex Pistols mm. on some like midnight radio show when I was in the sixth grade and being like but there's something, you know, and, and, and having it kind of haunt me like this is there's something different about that. That's not what other music sounds like, yeah. but having no avenue to explore that sure, at all. Sure. And then but then when it comes back around, it's like lightning, you know. Oh, yes, this is what this is what you've been hoping for. You know, this is why you liked the cure. Right. Because they were playing the cure on the radio and it was closer to what you needed. And Michael you know? Jackson. And I mean, I that's the thing about it was like I at the same time that I'm listening to ridiculous like Grim Reaper and and Black Flag and whatever, I'm like completely, you know, sappy into like Joe Jackson stuff. And, yeah. And, and, but that's not, that's not that weird because you're and still... And ABC. A... ABC and stuff like that. Like I loved that stuff. Not another bad creation. Like I a, know what yeah, you Okay, mean. all right, all right. Be near me. Yeah, yeah, King exactly. For a day. Uh, absolutely. Or Tears for Fear is still one of my favorite bands. Like, come I on. It. I love yeah. all this stuff. Okay. Me too. All right. But that, that's the thing, though. You, you're you filling up that vessel, right? Sure. It, it, it can't be completely full of punk no, rock. No, no. You've got to have a foundation of stuff. And it's, if anything, it's so you kind of know what it is that you're choosing that over. Right. Or choosing that alongside. Right. Yeah. Because no, sometimes you just add, you know, I mean, come on. Most most of us have listened to mainstream stuff all along the way. With of this, course. Because it's unavoidable. No, it's there. And some of it's really good. Like Tiffany. Tiffany killed it. I think we're alone now. Great, one of the best when covers that, ever. Yeah, that one of the best covers was, ever. When that song came out, it was it was cool enough that I bought a forty-five of it, and oh. then immediately went, "Why did I waste my dollar?" I would have dropped out of middle school to marry Tiffany or Belinda Carlisle any day. Well, okay, Belinda Carlisle, yes, yes, you, I, definitely. Do you remember at the same time as that Tiffany song being a big deal that Debbie Gibson became a big deal too? I never liked Debbie Gibson all that much at the time, but now she fell but now from I grace. Do. Oh, now you do. Yeah, yeah. Well, when she did that stuff with the circle jerks way later, <laughs> I will destroy you or whatever. Like, <laughs> but Belinda Carlisle, man, oh. a, a post Go Go's '80s Belinda Carlisle was untouchable. Nobody wore a sweater dress like her. That's probably true. And Nobody. I'll, and she's probably got a cardigan or two going in those videos. Oh, also, a cardigan sweater dress. <laughs> With boots. <laughs> With boots. <laughs> boots. I still love Belinda Carlisle. What are you going to do? Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, I think that that's pretty much a foundation that I understand. Okay. Um, you ever get in a fight over music? Over music? Uh, well, or over, at shows, or, for sure. No, not at shows. Okay. Over skateboarding or a weird haircut or funny clothing. Did you ever get stopped and assaulted? Oh, or, or... yeah, for sure. But I don't think that's as common 
in the modern era, but you're talking about stuff that I remember from high school, which means you were in junior high. If you graduated in 93, yeah. you're four years behind me, which means you can have some yeah. of the same experience. Well, that was the thing. It was, it wasn't, it wasn't cool or mainstream to like any of this stuff. It was, you know, when we were, you know, it was like still skateboarding as a crime. It's, it's back pre, then, you it's know. pre Nirvana. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, you were the weird kid or whatever. And, and you know, yeah. Did you ever have to run or fight from a carload of Hicks? Uh, so to clarify, I never got in a fight over music where I'm like throwing down. I've had stuff thrown at me or yelled or chased or whatever, but I never, I mean, they never caught you. No, no, I never had to, never had to get in a fight at that time over it, like punching people. I mean, I did, I had a couple of fights when I was younger in middle school. That was my first fight was in middle. Well, no, my first fight was in third grade, but my first fight that was like, yeah, I'm, I'm a part of this willingly was in middle school, I guess. But yeah, it for sure. Over something else though. Over. Yeah, definitely over something else. Right. But it was, it was, there was a time specifically mid eighties. Oh, absolutely. Um, and it, every year from like 86 forward, it died out more and more. But, yeah. um, and probably by 89, 90, when things were really starting to change and Lollapalooza was happening and right. all that stuff. And Jane's addiction had gotten bigger and then Nirvana was right on the way. It was, you know, those, it was pretty much gone for the most part. There was a little few holders, but man, you don't know how many stupid Mustangs or trucks or, you know, muscle, muscle cars full of six drunk idiots oh, yeah, like, no. got out and chased us or threw beer bottles at us. Or, yeah, and on, then, your, on your skateboard, you're, you're, you're there, you're hanging out, you're whatever. And someone's throwing a bottle or yelling or swerving at you. Or, I mean, you yeah. get called all sorts of rad things. And it's like, this is just a, a chapter away or like a couple pages away for becoming the outsiders, right? right. Like someone's going to pull a knife. No, exactly. Yeah, and so it's it's just weird. Like, no one that I knew got killed in those situations, like in, you know, an S.E. Hinton book. No. But, um... No, and like, there weren't any stabbings of anybody that I knew. But or... it was this close, man. Like, seriously, it could have. I had a friend who, who the rest of us would run, and he would stand. And he was tough as shit. I well, mean, and he, you know, he well, put a lot of people down on the ground bleeding and that could have gone bad at any time. But you're also talking, you're four years older, right? So, yes. So that makes a big difference because I'm 11, 12, 13 before it starts getting okay. Right. And so, yeah, but I don't think the kind of people, and I don't know what Bellevue was like and the East side was like, I was up in Bellingham. So there was a little more County maybe, but I don't know if that's true. It's not, you know, no, definitely. I mean, the Bellevue at the time, the part of Bellevue that I lived in, I mean, I'm not going to say it was rough or anything yeah. like that, but it was way <laughs> different than it is now. I mean, it was like most of the people, the vast majority of people in my neighborhood were renting rather than, you know, buying the yeah. home values were way different. And it was just, it was a much different situation. Also, sure, there wasn't such thing as Microsoft money. No, it, the and, whole region was just Boeing. No. And it was actually pretty diverse too. Cause we had the biggest ESL program in the, in the state, I think in our school district there. And so it was, it was a really different scene, but it still wasn't like rednecks, the whole sort of redneck pride thing that's been coming to the suburbs now is it wasn't there at the time. It was right. just like everybody was sort of the same, except then some people were getting into skateboarding and stuff, which was, right. we were the weirdos, but nobody was really, basically you'd get something thrown at you and an older kid would yell something. Yeah. It was, for some reason it was, um, threatening. You, you, your situation so, in Bellingham, I think was a little different. Probably. Cause Bellingham was, I mean, the, the outlying towns 
thought of Bellingham as the city and yeah. Bellingham's not a Well, and the thing is like, you know, we have a lot of friends who will probably be on this podcast at some point that are from like North Bend, Snoqualmie, yeah. Carnation, and mm-hmm. that scene was a little bit different too. I mean, that was where that's rural and especially at that time, which is a lot different than it is now out there. So I'm sure that they have more stories that are a little more like stand and brawl. But it's so funny that just things like pink t-shirts and weird hair or having hair growing down in front of your face like Tony Hawk or being on a skateboard with a shirt tied around your waist or whatever it was, was incredibly threatening. Offensive. It was doing so. It was upsetting the way things were supposed to be. Yeah. And the, th- the thing, though, is And that... it would draw violence out of people a few years older than you. Well, the, the thing was that it didn't seem... Uh, I, I guess I didn't ever feel at that time like... Like I was in the movie Suburbia and like, you know, right. fuck everything and fuck you and I'm rebelling and whatever. I just was into what I was into. Sure. Well, it's Suburbia fiction, but you know, you watched it, right? Right, right. Of course. But the, but well, I guess you don't I'm have it. Sa- you're saying you don't have a TR burn? No. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is that like. I kind of wish I did. Yeah. Well, me too. <laughs> but I, but I, I guess what I'm saying is like, you know, you were weird and people didn't like it when I was doing it at that time in my neighborhoods and things like that. But it wasn't, it it wasn't the fight that I guess it was in other places. You didn't bleed for it. No, I didn't have to. Right. I don't know that I can't say where I would have stood if it would have been that environment. Well, it's, it, you know, a lot of the people I'm going to be talking to on here also didn't have that exact experience. You know what I mean? Well, and that experience was more, I mean, I had more of that experience later on in the, in the like, you know, golden nineties. Really? Well, I mean, just you, you, there were more confrontations and more issues that you were actually, I mean, and you, and of course, like you felt strongly about standing for it or something like that. I feel like it was different though. But it was totally different. The culture had so much now of a foundation of what was just. Sure. Yeah. Skateboarding and all that just became so mainstream. Well, I'm just talking about like the hardcore scene or the punk scene or the emo scene or whatever, you know, all of it that we were all involved in. I mean, because you weren't just one thing, you know, it was that was all of it. Even Riot Girl and all that stuff like there weren't I, enough people. Of course, I wasn't involved in Riot Girl, but, you know, I mean, like we were at those shows and we were at those things. It was all yeah. one community, even w- with clicks kind of. And the thing was, was that even though maybe the clicks were having problems or or whatever you still sort of were all one community against the mainstream at yeah, that like, point yeah like like a dysfunctional family and you're still fe- going to be at thanksgiving yeah. no exactly you know like yeah whatever and and you know the sweater punks were your annoying little brother and sweater <laughs> punks. Like, i don't know oh god i love it but the th- but the thing oh. is is like i mean i felt more of a like i felt <clears throat> more of that at that point than i did in the 80s right okay so what what is your first Well, I also played sports. I was really big in the sports. I mean, that would that really defined my whole childhood was soccer. I and strangely enough, I was sort of like I said. Well, you were kind of playing an alternative sport. Well, but that's oh no, I guess you could call it that. But I but it was yeah, still Yeah, no, I did. But yeah. But what I'm saying is like I was the punk rock jock, I guess kind of. You know, yeah. I was like undercover punk rock and sure. so I, even though I wasn't close, I mean, when I graduated high school, there wasn't one person I stayed connected with, not, not one single person from that time. You didn't have an ally in there. No, but I mean, I had lots of people that I sort of hung with, but I was accepted in several different groups, but I wasn't ever, I mean, there weren't any really tight connections, but it, but I had access, you know what I mean? I wasn't like 
like in high school, I wasn't the total outcast. I wasn't the total weirdo. I was just the weird guy who was acceptable in all these different, I had access to these groups or these areas, you know? So I got, I got, I skated by pretty easy and all that. What's the first live music you saw? Ooh, I don't know. Um, I'm sure it was something with my parents pretty early Like a on. concert. But, yeah. Okay, what's the first punk rock show? I don't recall. I mean, I know it was like, it was an all-ages show, probably on the east side, maybe Old Firehouse. Okay, so it could have been Old Firehouse. So, I mean, I saw, I, like... 93 if you are gra- so right around the time you were graduating high school. Well, uh, yeah, I think it was before I graduated. I think Fugazi I, at the Bellevue Y? I definitely saw that, yeah. Okay. And that was now. Did it seem when you were at that that it was something you were you were used to being at shows, or was it kind of a new experience? No, that was I had been to a few okay. at, at least. I mean, I was listening to Fugazi and that stuff. I, you know, I, like you were going with Rocky through a lot of these old shows, like the Jawbreaker and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And you know, well, but that's Jawbreakers all the way through. Those are very well, of course, yeah, Jawbreaker all the way through. But those early Jawbreaker shows, you know, on the Bivouac tour and stuff, and and like well, the those first are, time I saw them was at the party hall at Twenty Second Madison like on the unfun tour. Right. Yeah. yeah. 90 or 91. Well, and that's the thing, like, you know, and then there were the bigger shows too, that were very early on, like green day at like whatever the more or whatever it was, yeah, you I, know, but anyways, there, there were shows, you know, that I see, was but that's a to. concert. Green day at the more is a concert. Sure. Sure. There's a, there clearly there's a difference, right? No, no, I know what, I know what you're saying. I'm just, you know, there were, there were shows, there were concerts, there were shows, there were things going on. I, I don't remember what the first one was, but I'm sure it was it was something like all local band. Could it have been ten oh seven? My maybe <laughs> the green. I don't know. Oh, that could yeah, that could be. I remember the green actually. Uh, Derek uh, played at my high school at a battle of the bands at one point. Oh, I can't wait. To <laughs> and I remember seeing Pillow at a band battle of the bands at like Inglemore or something like that. <laughs> Riki Tiki Tavi, all that stuff. Like I remember, I remember. These are all bands that 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 really the people of these bands really grow out and into some awesome stuff. Oh sure, sure. I mean, I remember seeing Riki Tiki Tavi at like a rich kid party in high school in like Bridal Trails area or something that that <laughs> ended up getting busted and like people were kicking holes in the in the kids' parents' house walls and didn't stuff like even that. know what he got into, huh? Well, he was a kid that was like uh, that wanted to be liked but wasn't really liked, you know? That's rough. Don't have a show at your house. Don't have a party. That's not no. a way to get anyone to like you because they're just it's it's like Didn't every eighties movie. Learn anything from Weird Science? That's what I mean. It's every one of those movies. <laughs> Never, you can't actually watch like one of those movies and and come up with the same scheme and go, this will get me friends. (laughs) You can't like pay a girl a thousand dollars to fake that she's your girlfriend. It's not going to work. That's, I love that you referenced that. I don't care what outfit she ruined. (laughs) Well, the guy got wine on it. Yeah, exactly. That's not coming out of white, white suede. (laughs) (laughs) He had saved up mowing all those lawns for that telescope. I mean, it did and work instead, out in the he end. he bought a suede dress. It did work out in the end. It did work out in the end. That's a good movie. Can't Buy Me Love. Yeah, Can't Buy Me Love. Ronald Lawn Boy. You don't have to pay for that now, do you? <laughs> <laughs> no, it should pay me. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's right. And it worked out pretty well for Patrick Dempsey. It worked out. Is that who it was, Patrick Dempsey? It I, was. I don't know. Yeah, he ended up on Grey's Anatomy. Well, he he was a he was like had the best pizza gig of all time. Jake and I delivered pizzas, and we never had that deal. <laughs> you just jumped seamlessly from Can't Buy Me Love into Loverboy. And brought and brought the local scene into it. <laughs> 
he's part. He he owns Tully's. It really comes all the way around. Wait, he does. Hey, his his like investment company bought part of Tully's Coffee. I don't know if it's still you know McDreamy. McDreamy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's who that is. I don't know either. All right. So listen. Okay. So you're going to shows. You yeah. don't really remember which one is your first one. I don't know. But they. But they. <clears throat> there were a lot of meaningful but ones. They're, they're meaningful. But I feel like it, none of it was as much of a shock. A lot of people have this kind of like, I was shocked. Like they. Like I was hit by like a lightning bolt. I saw a show and I realized this is what was going to be my life. Or and it, oh, it seems like you had a lot of this filtering into your life as as you were growing up. Sure. Well, the thing was, I mean, to be honest, I think that they were, I mean, they were really exciting and really neat and whatever. But like I said, I sort of, I went and was sort of, I, I don't know, wallflower, whatever you want to say. I just sort of like hung out and observed and never felt a part of it. That's the thing. I didn't feel like I was, no one welcomed me in. And I, it's not that experience where I was like, oh, I found my home or right. this is, until after I graduated high school. And I don't think that it's that it's it's not the show's fault because the shows were really meaningful, the bands and the music and stuff like that. But the scene was not a thing that was like it wasn't like, oh, I found I found my comfort zone or whatever. And it's not the scene's fault. It's not anybody's fault or whatever. It was I wasn't ready at that point. I didn't have the freedom to like explore it or whatever. When I left high school, that was really when I was like, wow, I can actually do anything. I'm not tied down to this or this person that I've been or whatever, I really saw it as sort of hitting the reset button and like now, okay, I can actually forget all that stuff, whatever it was. And it's not like it was over dramatic or anything, but I could just literally do anything now. I'm, I can be who anyone, anyone I want to be. Sure. Let me ask you something. Yeah. What did you get first into a band or internet access into a band? When did you get internet access at home? It was the Harbor Steps apartment, which was after what tour? Because, see, I lived at the Bonneville. Yeah. And you live there. We all live there, right? Yeah, which was, a, which was an apartment building on Capitol Hill. I Seattle. left for one of the state route tours. I left from I, – the van came and picked – Jeff DeGolier lived there too. Mm -hmm. And we both got in the van and left for tour from the Bonneville. And then after tour, I got dropped off on First Avenue to my new apartment – that my ex-wife had wife at the time had moved us into while I was on tour. So okay. I like showed up at this dirty, disgusting person. And I don't know if she had already gotten internet access then, or we got it shortly after, but was it, it was a at that apartment. AOL with a slow modem. It was a slow modem, not AOL. It was, okay. I, I, well, everybody seems like that was the, that was really the, the thing that got everybody. I was like, never on AOL. You were never on AOL. I never, I did never got an AOL name or whatever. I, ne I never did that. And I think it was through our work because we both worked okay. at the same place. And I think she had argued that we needed it at home so she could work or something. So yeah, special deal, something like that. So yeah, yeah that's, so that's all... when I got it. So I had been, so that must've been 97 so, and end of summer 97. Yeah. It really starts changing things. Yeah. Um, Okay. When does the sandwich guy bring you into the band? That's a weird thing. I don't know why he did it, um, but I'm glad he did because it really changed my life. But um, I didn't play anything. I had I had been playing a little bass at home, just but I wasn't good. I had I was playing like cop, trying to copy like Black Flag songs and stuff, really easy stuff on bass. Mm -hmm. 
I was sitting there, no offense, black flag bass players, but uh, I was sitting at home doing that every once in a while. And, and when I would be over at Jake's house hanging out, he had these beautiful guitars, you know? And so I'd always pick up one of his guitars and just sort of pluck away at it. But I didn't know anything. I didn't, I didn't even, I didn't know what a power chord was. I don't think, I don't know. And um, he just came to me, state route had, had started. And um, I think they put the demo out at that point. And he asked if I wanted to, play guitar in the band and i don't know i mean he he can probably remember the conversation more but basically he asked me if i wanted to, if i would play second guitar in the band and i said well i don't play guitar i don't have a guitar i don't play guitar whatever and and he said something like you know well i see you pluck around on mine enough like you'll, you'll figure it out and so um, he just wanted you in the band. He needed you in the band with him. We were best friends. Your like, partner in crime. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I loved the guy, and, and uh, I don't know. I think he felt strongly about me. So, yeah. So, I mean, and so I, I think I had, like, a, from my grandparents on my dad's side who had met once or something, had some sort of bond or something that had matured. <laughs> and so I cashed. That's for your college. I cashed that in. <laughs> And bought, uh, went down to Trading Musician and bought a half stack that was terrible, and had to like had to take the head back after one practice and trade it in for another terrible head that was louder. <laughs> and um, so I had a half stack, and then I think Jake had like a a guitar with no electronics in it, just like a body and a neck of something I don't know. And we went down to Pacific Music, which isn't there anymore, in Redmond, and traded that in on a white Les Paul custom copy by Seville that I still want back from Cody Votolato. Um, <laughs> Votolato. Votolato, sorry. Well, yeah, there you go. I'm going to keep saying it wrong until you, <laughs> you sell me that guitar back. <laughs> so, uh, so, and got that guitar. I think for, I think for, I don't know, the balance was like $40 or yeah. something like that or $60 or something. And that was and the what, start Jake of it. teaches you how to play? And he gave me the, he gave me the, basically I had the demo and, and I don't remember how when he showed me a couple things, but he didn't. I mean, it's not like he didn't give me lessons or anything. He showed me a couple things, and then I sort of like tried to figure out how to play parts. And that was kind of the weird so, thing about but you it. You went from not playing guitar at all to playing shows. Yeah, the first one was uh, insane. Which one was it? Uh, Bloodlet in Victoria. Oh, slow side down too. Then I don't. I don't remember if they were there or not. Okay, because Bill mentioned uh, playing with Bloodlet. Well, Bloodlet played. I mean, they were always on. They did. They even have a home. I mean, they Florida. Were, well, yeah, but were they ever there for except for a show? <laughs> I mean, that's all they did was tour. It actually right? seems a little weird that it would be that far out. So it could have been. They might have played Victoria twice, one tour, and then Slow Side Down thing happens later. Because you're already well into the band by the time Slow Side Down comes around, I think. I think so. Yeah, yeah. So it was before that. Like, uh, I can't remember what the band was, but there was a guy. Did you ever know Bubba from up there? Yeah, yeah. He, his band played and um, and Bloodlet and us, and I don't remember, probably seven other bands. Was but, Todd Graham in the band? Uh, in what band? Stay right. Not at that time. No, that, that comes much later. Okay, um, so the first time you play is in Victoria. Yeah. And were you just turned down or were you, like, what were you, were you just doing it what do you mean turned down like like i don't know like could you did you know what you were doing because you said it was crazy no I, it was horrible it was horrible i mean like I, seriously at that turned down like you've heard the stories of bands that have famous guitar oh, oh, players oh, who oh, can't like actually the volume, play the so they turn the volume down and no, someone else no. is covering their ass i probably had i probably like inch 
the volume down. I don't know, but I'm sure people heard how awful it was. I can't even imagine. I mean, I'm, maybe I was okay. I mean, the thing was, like, the most embarrassing thing about it, I was sicker than a dog because I was so nervous <laughs> that I hadn't eaten anything. So I was, like, because I was nauseous, and, and I had, like, a splitting headache, and it was a weird whole experience in general for <clears throat> several reasons. But, but yeah, I played the show, and the, the thing about it was, like, I couldn't, I, I could tune a guitar, right? kind of but not under pressure and we didn't have like we didn't have tuners or anything like that it was it, you know at that point it was like you know we didn't even write set lists like in between songs i'd go what do you want to play next or jake would go what do you want to play next and we'd like pick a song most of the time but we didn't have tuners so it was like give me an a at the beginning of the set and then maybe halfway through the set oh give me an a and then we'd just make sure we were all tuned up to each other so I think that show, it was either that show or another show when, but it was probably that one where it like the worst thing, if you're a guitar player and you've never seen this or had this happen to you, listen to this. I mean, it's like I had, he like reached over at one point, like I had to walk close to him, hit the string and he's twisting my tuners. Oh, your, your other guitarist is tuning your guitar oh in my front God. of the crowd. In front of the crowd. <laughs> I'm not sure if it happened at that show, but I'm, I, I know it happened at least once I've at a show it and it had to be at that show. Right. And so that was the first show. <laughs> And it was such a relief. Like, I don't even care what it sounded I didn't even care what it sounded like. I didn't care one thing about it. I just want, it was like, I just needed to get it out of the way. Yeah. I was so happy it was done. I don't remember what it sounded like. It was one of those things. It's like, you know, where it's just a blur. You don't. So, when did it, how long did it take to, where it felt comfortable? A little while. I mean, a few shows, I would say. And then, then I don't know. It was always really good, though. I mean, the thing about it was, even when it was stressful at that time, I mean, I, not to be too sappy or cheesy, but I don't know. You look over and you see your dude or you look back, you see your bandmates and like, or you're in that song and that thing, just you feel it and you look over and everyone's smiling. I don't know. It's just, it's the best thing ever. It is. It's pretty comfortable. And, and so it's comforting, you know, and you're, you're in it together. I, I don't, I seriously don't know when it became like a thing that was, excitement to play a show instead of nerves i don't i don't know because i always even i always got nervous no matter what even on tour like you played 100 shows and you still you still got nervous. i still butterflies <clears throat> now butterflies. during during the rocky episode we talked about the show at the baldwin's house on right. halloween halloween and rocky wearing the silver <laughs> shirt you said that you that we got things wrong there were some things and wrong I, I want you to correct the record on this go for it well, so Rocky was filling in for Jake on guitar, and he had played that show. But the but the main thing was for a Canada trip. We went up and played in Victoria and possibly Vancouver. And Rocky played on that. Rocky went up and played, and it's because oh. Jake had broken his hand. Okay, so he was just singing. So Jake was just singing, and there's some pictures of that that pop up every now and then where Jake's like in a cast w holding a microphone and with wearing a like a dress shirt or something i don't know yes. but yeah they're they're pictures of that and rocky filled in for uh it must have been two or three shows it, okay it was for it was he for, said he thought he played one other show he doesn't remember going to canada apparently yeah it was the the canadian trip was the whole point the 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 halloween show was fun like i i dressed up i had a horribly obscene costume that last minute had to be changed 
I don't remember who it was, who oh. the person was I was dressing up as, but it was a woman and I was wearing, and I had bought this tight dress and there was no amount of anything that could make it not obscene. Like there was all sorts of, like, you know, I was trying to like wedge stuff in places <laughs> and like st strap or tape and what, and it just like, there was no way that it was going to work, especially to play that it wasn't like telling too much of a story. You were going to be visible to the crowd? Is I was going to be visible to anybody at any angle. <laughs> So I ended up last minute dressing up as Matt Matsuoka and I took a Sharpie and drew in the black flame, flame tattoos on my arms. Matt Matsuoka, um, singer of 1007 and at that point, Red, Red Rocket. Rocket. Yeah, they played that night. They played that night too. And Matt has uh, flame tattoos on his arms coming from his wrist down almost to his elbow, like superhero tattoos almost. So we drew them on my arms. And you drew... How, in how Sharpie. Did that, how did, did that go over with him? With Matt? Yeah. Oh, I, I I think he thought it was funny. I don't know. We were always we were always friendly and like good and everything I just, like that. that. Something like that, I always wonder how he would take it. Well, I th I don't know if it was that night. I think it was the night there was a, band, a pop punk band called Welt that stayed at the house. We had various bands stay at that house. And you we, lived at that I house? I lived at that house, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I don't remember what night it was, but he, he really, like Matt, Matt, Matt had no room for, like, he, he owed me a few. So <laughs> what, wait, what do you mean? Uh, well, cause that, that house was kind of a notorious party house. I believe he was the one that ruined our hot tub. <laughs> <laughs> I may be wrong and Matt can correct that Ru at some point. Ruined it? Well, yeah, it wasn't basically someone puked in it or something. <laughs> and I think it was Matt. He was involved in the hot tub that night. And instead of like doing anything about it, well, we did do something about it. We put the cover back on it and left it <laughs> as far as I recall. It was never oh. used again after that party. He also one time I ended up sleeping on the couch upstairs because I went down to my room and he was passed out in my bed and I couldn't move him. <laughs> and so then when I get up at like whatever time uh, and go down to my room, my bed is completely stripped. No covers, no sheets, no pillows, no nothing. And Matt's gone. And I thought he was just fucking with me. I literally thought I didn't think anything like I didn't jump to like he shit the bed or anything. I just literally and he didn't shit the bed. <laughs> say that right right. I didn't jump to any. I thought I thought I was pissed because I thought he was fucking with me. Right. But he I guess in the middle of the night, he puked all over everything. And so he got up early, felt awful and took everything to the laundromat. Oh, yeah. And, and cleaned everything. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so and and like I didn't care. It was fine. But uh <laughs> but yeah, no, we were always good. We were always good. I don't think he was offended. I think he I think he it was all a funny funny thing uh, as far as I remember about the costume. I don't remember that house being particularly clean. No, it was disgusting. It's not like any place I lived was particularly clean, but it was a party house for sure. It was it was kind of it was kind of a, yeah, it was kind of a party house and uh it was I mean it was pretty fun, but at the same time it was one of those young roommate things where like no one no one wanted to do communal cleaning at that yeah. point everyone like cleaned up their own stuff kind of and then like said that's all i'm doing so and so the arguments about what's theirs and what's not so a lot of stuff got left i think as you would expect in most <laughs> of those types of houses sure but there was lots of nudity and lots of i mean it was just it was one of those things lots of nudity well yeah
I'm just going <laughs> to let that sit there. Okay? I'm just letting it sit. Sure, there's no story that goes along with that. Well, it's just like, well, it's like stuff like, uh, you know, I saw Rocky in April. I hadn't seen him for a long time, and we were hanging out, and April's like, said something like, oh, remember the time I saw you naked or something like that? And I had forgotten about that, but apparently I used to get naked all the time. I remember everybody <laughs> else did, but apparently I did as well. It was just that kind of a thing, that kind of a place, I guess. I it's don't... funny because I think without context, it, this is going to sound like it was some kind of like hippie orgy house. No, it wasn't that. For the most part, it, it was, <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't like that. It was like, I mean, I, I didn't have a door on my bedroom, you know, it was like, I had the den downstairs with no door. So I used right. to put a chair across the door. I don't know. It was just, a, it was fun and it was fine. It was all in good fun, I guess. All right. So, um, so the party, yeah, we all played party. play. Okay. And that was the only correction. I believe Todd was in the band at that time. He, he actually played bass. contacted on, uh, on I saw, Facebook I saw and that, said yeah. he, he, had, he was, yeah. Rocky was just playing guitar to make up for Jake's hand. Yeah. And I can't remember what else there was that I was referring to. Okay. I mean, it wasn't anything. But that's fine. The record's corrected. Major. Yeah. <laughs> and that's important. Yeah. Um, and so I then... did play bass for one or two shows prior to that. It was after our first tour. Okay. We had shows booked and we didn't have a bass player. Then it was second guitar. And then Jeff DeGolier comes on board. Uh, yeah. So it was like, yeah. So we had a lot of member changes. It was, they were three piece, Cindy, Jake, and John Michael Jerome Farley. Then I joined in. Then Cindy left. I played bass for one or two shows as a three piece again. No second guitar. We just changed the set around. Uh, and then... I think Todd came on and played with us for a little while and then and then Rocky filled in and then Todd left and Jeff came in um, and then we were that lineup until John Michael Jerome Farley left. Yes, I do have to say his full name every time. <laughs> and uh, Justin Martinez came in and yeah, played drums at the, end, right yeah. at the end. Okay, so there's this brief period of time where Lots of other people start moving into the apartment building that I've been living in on Capitol Hill in yes, Seattle. the Bonneville. The Bonneville. And Todd Graham, who we've been talking about. Who's and in Helen. State, Helen. They have an apartment. Yeah. And it became this just magnet, like anyone can hang out there at any time. And people started getting apartments in that apartment building before long. There were like five or six apartments in there. They were all yeah, friends of ours in the music scene. Cause, uh, yeah, because Aaron Rue and Bonnie Dobbin had an apartment. Yes. And then... Uh, Aaron Rue, it's, he put out the first Botch 7-inch. Right. Or with a, a split-label release, but he was sure, sure. involved in that. Yeah, yeah, love Aaron. Um, and, and Bonnie's uh, Bonnie. And Bonnie, yeah, she's back up in Can the Canadian um, tattooer. And uh, I actually got my first tattoo in their apartment, <laughs> which then I took over. Uh, you like, took over Yeah, they, they left. I think we took over mid-lease um from them so we moved into that apartment just one door away from todd and helen was ron living in the apartment on the other side on gardapi i think he did still live there when i moved in yeah and i was still up in the apartment yeah. there too. okay yeah you were right above the the manager yeah yeah that's that's not a story that matters for you. i don't want to talk about her either <laughs> <laughs> but then like i think josh was in there siana was in there yeah this was a huge like Frank, it, Frank and uh, Dave were in there yeah. at one point. And it was just, it was weird because it was almost like, like in Friends, and this is weird because Friends was on TV at the time and everybody was watching it. And all, I remember Carrie Cap was super into Friends. Carrie Cap, I think, lived there too I, at one point. I think she did for sure. Um, but it was, um, it was kind of like, you know, what they lived in a, a, apartments across the hall from each other, right? 
I like to think of it more like singles. It was like, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> but but it's weird. You just I, I would get home from work and I'd kind of change and get something, you know, a snack or something. And then I'd just be like, well, there's nothing going on tonight. I'm just going to walk over to the other side of the apartment and see who's there. You know, yeah. I just walk into Todd and Helen's and hang out with them for hours. Yeah, it was cool like that. Yeah, it was weird. We, remember, we used to all watch X-Files at Todd's house. We used to all watch X-Files. It was It was one of the last times in my life when I just would go over and kind of flop on a floor at somebody's house and waste time. You know what I mean? Like yeah, there sure. wasn't, that didn't have something filled in each night of the week kind right. of thing. It was the last kind of, it felt like a last hurrah of youth. It was nice. It was good. I mean, I had, I had experiences after that, like that too, but that the Aurora house for, for instance. Well, and most everybody at the, in the Bonifield days though, everyone was straight edge. Uh yeah, for the most part. For the most part, and Ron wasn't though, was he? No, but he also was. But he also didn't hang out with any of that. So, Straight Edge. How do you get involved in Straight Edge? Uh, well, it was one of those things where uh, I was going to shows, and you know, we've talked about this before, but basically, it was a thing where I was I sort of needed it and was ready for it at the time. It was it was one of those things, and I had conversations with people at the time too because you know there's all those straight edge is one of those things where like there are all these different factions on... we haven't talked about it much on this podcast no yeah not not on this podcast i just mean you and me in general have had this conversation a little bit but i i, I personally i needed it like i was and I, you drank before i was yeah i i drank and i smoked weed and stuff like that and it was sort of one of those things where um, even at the, that younger age, it was a deal where it was, it was always there. Right. So if you went and did something that's, that was involved. And when I started going to shows with Jake, it was sort of like, especially hardcore shows and stuff. It was like, wow. Okay. Was Jake already straight edge? I think he was. Yeah. Okay. So he's a huge influence on you then. Oh, absolutely. He, Jake, Jake Snyder, uh, is a big influence. Yeah, for sure. Uh, he he really meeting him was the thing that. Do you feel that he pressured you? Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to give him too much credit. I don't want. Like, I don't mean it in a bad way, but like, was he like, dude, X up? No, did, no, did no, he hand no, you, no, no, no. Did he hand you the sharpie? No, not at all. Not at all. No, no, not not at all. I mean, in fact, like I think when we worked at Sub Shop, I used to go out to the dumpster and smoke pot, and like he he, he Jake never gave me. And then he'd be like, "Dude, you're eating all the tomatoes." No, no, no. I would. I don't like tomatoes. Well, uh, that's a call back to I'm the just, cutting I know, the tomatoes. I'm, just, I'm kidding. Stepping all over my. Yeah, I was trying to step on it. <laughs> you let it down that far. I'm gonna step on it. No, uh. No, no, he wasn't, he wasn't that guy at all. In fact, like it was one of those things where, I mean, I think it was established very early that he was straight edge, although, you know, I don't, it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't anything like, yo, bro, <laughs> this isn't, this isn't happening with me. You know, no, I never saw him as a preacher. No, he wasn't, he wasn't at all. And, and it wasn't, it was just, and he may remember it differently, but from, from my memory, which is kind of rough. Like I went to shows and stuff and it was sort of like, uh, wow, okay, here's an opportunity that I can actually, there's community here. Uh, I can be a part of this scene and go here and these people and whatever. But it wasn't like, it wasn't a thing like, oh, the membership fee for this is is not drinking or smoking weed. It was more like, oh, wow, this is really refreshing. I can go do all this cool stuff, hang out and whatever, and that doesn't even come up. It's not there. I don't, I don't you know, we're not trying to find out where to score we're not trying to figure out who's going to buy or whatever we just go and hang out and do all of this and it's none of that 
And that was really nice. And, and like I said, I just needed it at the time. So it just, it just went. And then it was sort of like, I think it was more my exploration of it going like, okay, well, you know, and sort of like observing and figuring out what this thing is and what the scene is and whatever, and, and sort of just being respectful of it in the sense of like, you know, finding out just by being there, when can you call you, can you call yourself straight edge? How does that work? You know, whatever. And, but I think like from my experience and, and in my opinion, I think there's so many different sort of factions or belief systems within it. And there are those people that are like, you know, there's the, if you're not now, you never were, which I think even Rocky referenced or something like God, that. I'm so well, of course it is. And I was, and, and I don't know if you were there day one when I first heard it, when I went, that's stupid. Oh, I, just... well, it was the same thing. I mean, and and that's fine. It's one of those things where it's like, okay, well, if that's not, then I guess I wasn't ever. Uh, that's no, fine. You re know, retroactively. It's all those things. I mean, there's all those things. Erasing of the history. hard line. There's all the different versions. And it's like, you know, there's so many things in it or groups or belief systems that I don't, I don't agree with or have any love for. And so whatever. Well, do you remember ever having like a, like a, like a revelation, like a conversation with someone? involved in straight edge or having kind of a moment where you really felt like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, where there was a big deal, something occurred to you for the first time or there someone were... impressed something upon you that was new. And, oh, sure. And... Sure. I mean, I mean, there's, there's lots of those. I mean, that's the thing is the whole thing is a learning experience that, that going and actually having the, and I was going to shows and not being drunk and not drinking and not smoking weed and not whatever, but then finally having the realization of that this was existing and this was a, a thing and whatever, that that was a, a big deal. Like just figuring that out, like this, there's this whole other culture here that that's not even it's and it doesn't necessarily. I mean, some would argue that this is not true, but I, I don't think it it defined itself by that one trait either. I mean, that was a thing for me. It wasn't at least when I started going and all through it either. I always I always sort of said that I was straight edge because it was a personal thing, you know, yeah. it was it, like whatever, anybody's vegetarianism or whatever. It's a personal thing always is. It's not because of somebody else, you know, and, and it's for my own reasons. It's my own thing. It's not anybody else's definition. It's my right. definition. Right. And so. And that's pretty much always been my take on it. Well, yeah, exactly. And, and so, but like I said, there were so many different people and, and learning how other people got there or didn't get there or why they were against it or whatever was always kind of a thing. Like I said, I, I had conversations with people where it was like they'd never had a drop of anything, never experienced anything, whatever. And that was really important to them as far as like you know, downgrading my status of it or whatever. And well, it's funny because it's like, how long have you been straight edge? Oh, my whole life. Uh, no. Yeah, exactly. Cause you didn't weren't aware of what straight edge was when you were born. Or I'm basically straight edge because I've never done this, you know? Yeah. And, and, and the thing is it doesn't, I personally, for me, that doesn't even bother me because like, I don't know. Look, it doesn't bother. I mean, it's, it's, well, but that's my point. But at like, the time it was, it was kind of annoying. And, and, and if we're just looking at it from a, we've set the rules, like, you sure. know what I mean? We're, sure. Forget all the rest of life and reason and calming down that happens as you get older and you quit worrying about a lot of crap, right? Right. But let's say we go back to the passions that we felt in our 20s. Well, I'll tell you this and right I, here. It, it annoyed me because, because, no, there was a day when you decided that you oh, were straight sure. edge. And there's a day when you say, 
I'm straight edge. That's the concept of claiming straight sure, edge. Sure. You were not straight edge the day before that, even if you'd never taken a drop no, of I alcohol. No, I agree. I agree with that because you have to actually, I mean, if you're going to say you're straight edge, you had to define it at some point and you had to make a decision. And that comes with understanding of what you're getting yourself into. Or, or <laughs> well, yeah, it comes with your personal understanding of that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and then, and that's the, that's sort of the, the thing. I mean, I, like some people believed and probably still believe that you either do it forever or you don't. That's sort of that, like, if you're not now, you never were type thing. And there, there were people at the time, of course, we know lots of these people who said, I will be straight edge forever. Right. Forever. And, and I always, that's a and this very, very small group of people actually fall into that. Well, a very small group of people pull that off. Yeah. But but I think a very large group of people actually fell under that idea. Yeah. And and my point, my I guess, and this was controversial at the time with various people that I had this discussions with, but I don't, I totally remember never thinking that. I remember having conversations with a friend who's still a friend and who's, who told me that he was going to be straight edge forever. He is not. Right. Um, <laughs> but, and I said, couldn't even guess who it was. Cause it's most everybody. Sure. Sure. And I said that, that I, I wasn't going to claim that, that I knew I wasn't going to be straight edge forever. You're not going to make a, a bold statement that, you know, you can't hold to. Right. And, and I never planned to, you know, I said, I said that basically I can't tell you what I'm going to believe or think five years from now on the, on the topic of consuming substances, you know, for something that I'm not hell bent against in general. I mean, there were also the people that, you know, wanted to firestorm, you know, they wanted to, they wanted to like <laughs> bring back the 18th amendment. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> but the, the thing was, is like, there were people that wanted like nobody to be able to do these things. Right. We should and, make laws based on this obscure right. belief Right, youth movement that we're involved in. People who consume a certain thing are awful people, and and uh. and and some of those people were people who had who were very proud that they had never consumed anything. And my sort of argument was always, well, how can you be so against something that you have no experience to? Now I understand if you experience with if you if you have a family member or some history or some defining moment or thing, whatever. But I mean, there were people who did not have that who were had latched onto this thing and, and whatever it was, I'm not going to say, I'm not, I don't know if it was like their membership fee or whatever it was, you know, I, I, I can't say, but all I'll say is that I thought it was pretty, I, and I would say it's pretty silly to be hell bent against something that's never done anything to you. You've never had any experience with, and that can't, that is proven all over the place to be an okay thing for people. Like it's your own decision, but you know, like, I think it's pretty, you know, it's like, I'm never going to go to France, you know, because whatever. I mean, like, that's just stupid. You know, some people know that they're never going to do it, but it's go to France, few. go to France. Yeah. yeah we'll yeah. use that as the euphemism. Sure, no, sure. I mean, there are a few people who at the same time as other people are making statements that they're going to be straight edge forever or whatever. There were some people that were like, well, it's not a question like, cause I'd be straight edge if there wasn't any other straight edge people. You know, and there's oh, yeah, still, sure. look, there's still a handful of people from that, t a very small handful of people from that time frame who are in their 40s and straight edge still matters. And that's great. 
And it's and clearly it's not because of the group of people from back then that they're holding on to it for because all of those people are off doing whatever. I know? mean, I'll make I'll make a really shitty statement that there are people in their 40s who are straight edge for all the wrong reasons still, you know, and I will. But there are people who are I mean, I, I, I don't know if I said that right, but I guess I guess my point is like every everybody's journey is their journey. Right. And whether yeah. and, and whether it's a silly thing or, or a, an important thing or a good thing or whatever for on every way. Because I mean, well, you see, you got, you got weird eyes when I said that, I right? I did. Well, because I don't know very many people that were straight edge in their twenties that are still straight edge in their forties that I, that I could actually think of and think that they're straight edge for all the wrong reasons. Well, in I, fact, and the I'm, guys that I know, and I'm not saying that, that I know a person because like that. Even, even if let's say, let's say there were a guy out there that like you thought personally was just an absolute shitbag. Maybe that maybe I can think of, I can think that of you. talk to anybody in, in person, <laughs> but it's like maybe straight edge is the only thing about them that is that, that is true to them that sure. or that is that is the one bedrock thing that can keep them going. And to and and to to clarify, I only said that because there it's very very easy on the opposite end to say that people not being straight edge is. It's very easy to say that for lots of people when they lost their edge right. or whatever it Sold was. Out. Fell off, pulled themselves down from the X or whatever it was. <laughs> that that was a, that that's a negative thing, and they became yeah. a shitbag because of that. You know, I mean, that's that's been said over the years or a bad decision. I know when I when I whatever you want to call it, I, like that was thought of as a bad thing, and and I just always thought that was hilarious. Well, no, did because... you did you fall off? Um... Fall off. <laughs> did you fall off? We'll just use that terminology. <laughs> did you fall off at the Aurora House with that whole crew with Jake and Jeff? No, prior and to that. Prior to that, Baldwin House. Really? Yeah. You want you... I, and I didn't fall. I made a decision to not be straight edge anymore. Okay, yeah. I didn't realize that. So and and I made a decision to not be straight edge before I started consuming substances that would have called that null and void. Oh, okay. It wasn't you broke it. You broke it theoretically I had, I had prior pro- to. I use. had problems. Yeah, I had problems with with what I was seeing and okay. and things in the scene. That's and, pretty bold. I know it is, yeah. and and then people had issues with that. And it wasn't like it's not like I was like running for office on a platform or <laughs> making a God, making a point. Sometimes it almost felt like it. Though. Yeah, but that yeah, that's what I'm saying. And I always thought it was so silly. But I just really just didn't. You know, when I first became straight edge and before I became before I made the decision like going to shows and stuff it was a really special and important thing to me and I felt a sense of community and all that yeah and and at a certain point like I was in a different place and um I still and I'm not talking just about people or anything like that because you know we're still friends and and I'm still friends I mean you know the most important people in my life, most of them are the vast, vast majority of those people are from that time that I met in that time through that scene or those scenes. And, you know, uh, so I still had all those connections and things like that, but, but, and I don't even remember all the things, but there were differences where I was like, I don't, I don't identify with this thing anymore. And I, and I'm, I'm make actually making the point, which I thought was more respectful than anything else. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Then that to say, like, I, was just I don't hoping, want to be a part of this anymore. I guess I was just hoping that you were part of that whole drinking the O'Doul's no. non-alcoholic beer and like that whole like, oh, we're just doing this because we, we can't actually come home from work and drink a beer. I was I, at the Aurora house and it's like, I remember saying like, it's only a matter of time. 
Well, like, you will be drinking real beer soon. And it was true. Well, that was the thing. I thought it was silly, too. I mean, I remember that time, what you're talking about. But, but yeah, no, I lost. I was In the, my experience, I was whenever, whenever you have a straight-edge person who starts drinking non-alcoholic beer, it's right down yeah, the line. Yeah, because what's it's the point? It's right down the line. What's the point what's of that? What's the point? Yeah. It's right down the line. And what, I remember that because that was in the fridge because <laughs> that, was, that was much later. And that was like uh, – that was – I can't even remember if State Row was a band while we were at, while that house was. It might. I'm sure it was. I know Sharks Keep Moving started there, but I remember going because we were we practiced at that house, and so. But they were our house. Yeah, yeah. So so that was in the fridge all the time, and I remember, like, always commenting like, "Jesus Christ, just buy something that tastes good." Like, <laughs> this oh. is why are you spending that much money on this stuff? Just get the real. It's you know on this garbage. Yeah. So. At that point, you State Route 522 breaks up and you guys start Sharks Keep Moving? Yeah, it started before that. We A very ill attempt was, I think we call it, I don't remember. We went through a few names. One of them was the Bureau of Ships, I do believe. Oh. And, um, but the first attempt was because, you know, Jake, Jeff, and I, State Route broke up and then we decided very quickly after. We didn't break up with the intention of starting another band, right. but we broke up and then very quickly after decided to start another band with the three of us and then uh, Dan Dean. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jeff and I, for whatever reason, at first decided to swap instruments. So I was going to play bass. And okay. that's where I bought, remember I bought your bass gear? Oh, God. You yeah. bought the bass gear. I bought your bass gear. Where did it go? Uh, the head, I don't remember. You know, I've had people see pictures of that head and they want it bad oh i've got one that sun yeah i've got That's, one of those yeah um the the head went somewhere i don't remember the base went somewhere i don't remember and then i kept the cabinet i'd love to have that base back it was terrible but i still oh, it was, it was it. yeah it was cool and then the cabinet i kept and i i had i played in sharks and uh all that and um for a long while until we switched to combos and then um I ended up selling it to my brother, and then I, I think a friend of his has it. And I'm, I'm actually trying to get it back right now. It's a good cabinet. But, uh, yeah, no, so I was playing bass, and Jeff was playing guitar. So that stuff is still out there in use. Oh, yeah. The uh, cabinet. I the like cabinet's that. fantastic. And I it still like gets that. used. I don't know about the other stuff where it is, but, uh, yeah, and, and it, but it was terrible. And we were trying to be like – It American was like football. No, 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 no. No, this will surprise you. Actually, the first attempt, I think, I think if I remember correctly, the uh, the the influences were. It was supposed to be like if you mashed up Carp and Juno Forty Four. <laughs> okay. And it was terrible. Like it just didn't. I we just couldn't click the way that on those instruments. So then we switched back and started oh, over. Right. And then and then I think we started playing the Sharks Keep Moving type stuff, which was still a little more sort of upbeat and louder. I think it's really good. At I've the listen, beginning. I've listened to it a lot over the years. At the beginning, it, it was a little different. It was, you know, more of a Sharks Keep Moving State Route hybrid, and we were called Bureau of Ships, but we never played under that name. And then we became Sharks, Sharks Keep Moving. And we actually, I think, we actually played our first show under the name um, State Route, though. We booked the show as State Route because we got offered a show. Our first show was at the old firehouse. And uh, we got a call or whatever asking if we wanted to play State Route. And so we booked it and then showed up and said, yeah, we're not State Route 522 anymore. We're Sharks Keep Moving. This is a new band because <laughs> we wanted the show. <laughs> sure. There was a lot of that. I mean, that's how Screwjack or Lit started. Yeah, was sure. A li- was a lie. Sure. You know? Yeah. But I'm going to save that one for when I finally get to talk to Jake. 
Yeah, so we did we did that we did that stuff. We played at the Aurora House. We practiced. We we recorded our first our our first stuff there. We were, actually we recorded. We actually we no state route was there because we recorded the last state route the the Samson EP thing. Samson is Paula. Yeah, we recorded that at Jake's house with that ADAT machine in the basement. Yeah, and then we had to re-record it. Oh really? Yeah, that record that 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 release was much different. Like we we recorded that, and that was with John Michael Jerome Farley, and um and then he left the band, and it was a long time before we got Justin, and so when by the time we got back to actually doing that, we uh we didn't want to re-record the whole thing, so <laughs> Jake and I went in, we kept the bass and the the bass and the drums, and then we just he he and I sat down and we actually sort of rewrote the the songs you know same structures and everything but changed the chords up and how stuff was played and everything like that went back good songs and went back in and re-recorded all the guitars and vocals and then um and then we did one one new track which was the instrumental one on the end with justin so we did that at the aurora house so yeah no that's right we were definitely there as state route okay (laughs) i don't remember either excellent so okay then you guys were state route or were sharks keep moving for a while and then the world changes, man. Like, like things break up. The Aurora House goes away. Yeah. You moved. I don't know. When did you move? Much later. So when do sharks keep moving? When does that stop? So our last tour, I think, was 2001. Okay. Um, we had done a – we did an EP, and then we did a full length, and then we did one last EP. Called Paws and Claws. Paws and Claws, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. really good. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, I like it a lot. I, I actually, I, I love that band still. You know, it's it was it was good times. Um, and we, you know, the we ended up with Jay Clark from Kill Sadie, Pretty Girls Make Graves was playing drums for us at the end. Dan started playing drums for us in that band, and then Jay played at the end. Um, Morgan Henderson played bass for us after Jeff DeGolier left. Oh God, that's right. Blood Brothers and all that good stuff. Um, so it was Jake. Myself, Morgan, and Jay Clark. And we did that last record and went on tour. And it was the best tour we had been on. We had done. Um, we, I think we, we came back with money. We rented a van. We stayed at places. Wow. We, we ate food. Like that, <laughs> that's we purchased all those years into music, and you're excited because it's a tour where you got to eat food. Yeah, like at a restaurant. Like we went yeah. in and all of us could eat. That yeah. was that was the first time. I mean, I maybe the maybe the <laughs> maybe the Sharks Keep Moving Waxwing tour before that we had been able to eat together. Right, but, but you were like, staying in hotels. The state though. route tours like was one of those things where you know I'd leave with forty dollars or something like yeah. that, and certain people would have money and certain people wouldn't. And after two weeks, no one wants to help out the people who don't have money anymore. Right. So you're like eating just, out of the just, garbage or it's stealing. Just, like, just buy me a, a bean burrito. That'll be what I'll have today. It's, yeah. it's 49 cents. Oh, no, we were doing – no, no, that's that's a waste of money. No, you go to the grocery <laughs> store, you get a can of black beans for mm-hmm. 20, 24 cents, and then you eat half in the morning and half at night, and you just let it sit in the van in between. That's how you do it. <laughs> oh, so, rough it. Yeah, yeah. So, But you, in the, on those tours, you'd go into a restaurant, and the people with money – because people are like, we want to go to Caro's, or we yeah. want to go to whatever. And then you'd go in, and they'd 
eat food and you'd sit there and watch them eat food. Mm-hmm. And you're like, can I have your orange slice? <laughs> 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 or you try and pick up food on an unbust table on the way to the table or something like that. Oh, but, God. but yeah, so we went on this tour where we were like eating in restaurants and people were, we had hotel rooms are being put up and we were, you know, had beer money and whiskey money and it was great, you know? Now was, um, was there, was that overlap to, um, minus the bear happening? The last two are, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jake so, was already in Minus the Bear at that point. Yeah, so he had just started with them. I don't know how much he had done, because they started as an instrumental band. You know, they had done right. their first demo, which I think ended up being their first EP. I don't remember. But their their first demo was just instrumental. It was like, you know, sort of like a poppy Don Cab type thing. It was really cool. And then Jake ruined it. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. No, they they wanted a singer, so they they asked Jake to play, um, and he he'll tell the story better than me. But um, he started with them, and so there was a little overlap. They were just getting started. There I, wasn't as much of the old Nate in this whole podcast, but the and then Jake ruined it. Is well, he is knows, exactly how I think of you. He knows. I, he knows. I'm kidding. He knows. Yeah. I think he's the best part. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's that's the that's sure, that sure. snappy sort of attitude that, sure. that stood out. Yeah, even okay. Back in the right. day, I like it. Yeah, but it was all in good fun, right? So. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So he. Uh, yeah. He. There was a little overlap. Um, so he had just started with them, and we did our our last tour, and it was great. I mean, I we've our last show on tour was was a fantastic lineup. It was up at Western and it was uh Pinback, Pater the Lion, Sharks Keep Moving, and Boilermaker. Who wow. I love Boilermaker. Yeah. Yeah, which was really, really fun. And it was really cool because uh like that was the Pater the Lion that had like Yuki and Casey playing in it. And it was just super, super fun. Great show. And I I believe it was on the van ride back from that. And maybe Jake remembers better, but um that I was like, yeah, I got to quit the band. I can't, I, I got to quit playing music and go to school. So I was, I was so really, like time to get on with life now Yeah, and, and go out on top with a great show and a great tour. Well, we played one more show. That was our last show on tour. And then I think we, our last show, I believe was at the paradox. Okay. Um, we had one more once we got home, it was like a couple days later, a week right later. Right at the beginning then of that paradox era. Well, we'd played there a couple times, but yeah, it was it was at the beginning of that, um, uh, two or three times. But it was a great spot to play. Yeah, it was a great place. So, so what happens to you? Where do you go? So I went, and that was a crazy time because I quit playing music and went to school and and was working my way into the U to do geology, geophysics stuff, and um, but all the other stuff was jumping off because at that time when we were doing that everything was all overlapping like minus a bear had started. So there was a little overlap there with Jake um, joining the band. Uh, Pretty girls make graves had started. Kill Sadie was dead. Um, So uh, Jay was playing with them. Uh, Blood brothers had been a band the whole time. In fact, Morgan was in blood brothers and then came over to play with us while he was in blood brothers. So, and, but they were just starting to kick off on their big, like big deal. I think that was like right, right after that was when they, they went down to LA for, I don't know, like 17 years to record their, <laughs> the, the big record or whatever it was. It was, so it was really cool. Cause everybody was taking off and doing a lot of really neat things. And I was doing school. Cause I remember talking to people, off and on and they were like oh i'm in la recording and i'm 
like, oh, I'm studying for a, for a midterm. <laughs> you know, it was pretty, it was really rough on me. I mean, it was really, really tough. It was a tough decision that I didn't really want to make and just sort of happen. And so I, I did that, ended up at the University of Washington in the geology program, which was really, really cool. And in fact, uh, ran into uh, Ryan Murphy there. Nice. Yeah, we had a, a geomechanics course together. That was the first time. I didn't know he was doing geology stuff, and I didn't know he was at the U, and I walk into a geomechanics lab. And just, just because there are people listening to this, Ryan Murphy, drummer for Undertow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and several other and so, things. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I walk in the lab, and he's looking up and sees me and is, like, looking at me like, what the fuck are you doing here? And I'm looking at him like, oh, my God, what the fuck are you doing here? Like, I think we both probably thought each of us had stumbled into the wrong room. Yeah. Because it's such a weird thing that we were doing. And sure enough, we, we were in – you know, the program, he's a little farther ahead than me, but which was really cool. Um, so I did that and got some really cool stuff. You know, I got to do research in Alaska uh, on the Juno ice field. Um, I got to go to Antarctica, do research down there. A lot of cool things. How long were you in Antarctica? Uh, I think it was like two and a half months, three months, two and a half months, something like that. Was there, what was the name of the place you were stationed at? It was like ice station something? No, actually, um, well, we were working out of McMurdo Station, which is the big American uh, station there. Uh, but we, our field sites were located in the the um, in the dry valleys, which are uh, it was like I don't know a forty five minute to an hour helicopter ride out of McMurdo in uh, the only non ice covered, non coastal region of the continent. It was these wow. old glacial valleys that the ice had receded from, and so. You know, the, these big rocky valleys, which are really cool. And that's where we were working in like three different locations there. It was pretty crazy staying in tents for two and a half months in Antarctica with the only people you see are the other four people on your team, except for when you get a re-up of supplies, you know, that's awesome. once every three weeks or something. Yeah. We talked to one woman on the phone every morning on the radio to let her know that we were alive. You know, we had a radio in at a certain time. Sure. And it was when... You're reading was... At the Mountains of Madness? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, actually, I was reading a really great, uh, like, sci-fi series. <laughs> but uh, uh, but the thing was, is, like, our whole mood would be... Because, like, one person would have radio duty in the morning and one person would cook. We rotated, you know? Yeah. And so it was a thing where uh, if she was having a bad day and she had attitude on the radio... Like it sort of ruined the morale for everybody. That was our only connection to the outside world was this, was this woman named Candy. And if she like woke up on the wrong side of the bed, it like bummed us all out. You know, we'd like, wait, we'd all get there and go, how was it? Uh, she wasn't very nice today. And we'd all be like, oh my God, the world sucks out there. Like we're, we're isolated from a terrible place right now. There's nothing to go back to. It was really weird, but it was really amazing. I mean, I, you know. Uh, we got was to, it ever dangerous? I mean, other than a helicopter ride in Antarctica? Uh, other than it's, you know, uh, always below zero, negative 20 degrees, sunny all the time. But, you know, we had storms or whatever in, you know, I mean, it's dangerous in the sense that, yeah, you know, I ended up breaking my heel. Strangely enough, I broke a bone in my heel on a, on a day of field work towards the end. Oh. And I was it was like a three and a half hour hike outside of camp with gear because we had GPS equipment and we had rock samples and everything like that. And so I ended up breaking a bone. I knew I broke it, but concealed that from 
my team members because I didn't want to go home. I didn't want to be air vacked out or anything. So it's one of those things where I knew I'd hurt myself and I had to limp around, put the boot on extra tight and all that. When I I pulled it out and it was like already black and blue and swollen. So you lace the boot up extra tight or whatever. And you're your your field partner and and you're like, I got to go back to camp. And so I hiked back and it took me half the day to get back on the, on the foot, but I'm taking like rock samples and, and equipment with me. And I'm like the whole time after that, I'm carrying gear and stuff like that because I'm saying I'm good. I can do this. So how many more days with the broken foot? I worked about another week and a half. And I, yeah. And so, and, and so like two days, three days before something like that, four days before we were supposed to go back, um, I actually got sent out early. Because they figured out that you were injured. He knew, yeah, he knew, and there was a there was one last little uh, boondoggle thing where we were we had helicopters coming in to move us to another area, and so it was he didn't tell me the PI until um, until the helicopters got until the helicopters were on their way, and he's like, "Pack up your stuff, you're going out. They're going to look at your foot." Uh-huh. So I missed like the last four days or whatever, but it was it was pretty rad because I got a nice little adventure with a helicopter ride. Got to go look at some giant lizard skulls and and petrified uh, trees and in another area. Giant to, lizard skulls? Yeah, there was a there was another research team in another area, and so when the helicopter, he was a South African guy, uh, picked me up, was like, "Hey, you know, are you in a hurry to get back?" And I was like, "No." And he's like, "What well, do you want to go for a little ride?" And he's like, "I got to go pick up a sick guy out at a camp. They're looking for lizard skulls and stuff." So I was like, "Hell yeah." So we cruised up in the in the helicopter and he was awesome. He was like, you know, doing crazy dives over <laughs> ice falls on the way and he's like, you know, he's like, Don't "Oh yeah, that sounds great. He's Joy like, riding in the helicopter yeah, exactly. in the most desolate region on the planet." He's like he's like, "Don't tell anyone." And I'm like, "Yeah, definitely. This is <laughs> awesome." So, we went out there to their camp and picked up the sick guy, so I got to go and look at the, what they were researching and stuff and see see their stuff and then uh, that was pretty cool. So I got to hang out with those guys. When you say back. giant lizard skulls, how big are the lizard skulls? Uh, like dinosaurs? Like a, as big as your torso. That's pretty big. Yeah, it was big. Like they're they're pre dinosaurs. These were like these were like uh, I can't remember what the thing was called. I'm not a paleontologist, but really, uh, yeah, no, geomorphologist, <laughs> not paleontologist. <laughs> okay, so that's amazing, and I had no idea you did that. Yeah, it was fun. I played rugby down there too. I, I went rugby in I, the ice. I went swimming. I did all sorts of stuff. Like I, I, I tried to do <laughs> everything I possibly could. Well, I got down there and ran into a couple of people that I knew in, in Antarctica. Antarctica. Yeah, it was bizarre. That's. I mean, I you, you you go on vacation to Paris and you run into someone at the Eiffel Tower, or you're on tour and you run into someone that you know at like Virginia Beach on a beach. But you ran into people you knew in Antarctica. I have a lot of weird. So I have a lot of weird lives, you know, it's like I, I played soccer. I've got, I know a lot of people from soccer and sports and it was a, it was a competitive thing where it was traveling Mm -hmm. and all that. So there's a lot of people in that world and then there's a science world and there's a lot of people in that world, academic and science world. And then there's a music world and then there's like, you know, I got into mountaineering and skiing and stuff like that. And so sometimes those things collide. I just run into people. So who did you see down there? Uh, a girl named Lisa and a guy named Jesse. And and they were people that I just knew. Like Lisa was from the mountaineering world. She worked at a shop in Bellevue called Marmot Mountain okay. Works. And oh, yes. Marmot. So, okay. So, and I, I do know their, their clothing. Yeah. So, so um, 
that's just crazy. They just said we're down there at the same time as you. She, yeah. And, and there's a and, lot of places in the world people can be from. It's weird that yeah. you're in Antarctica with how many other people? Not that many. At the, at the height of summer. A uh, hundred? Well, at the height of summer at McMurdo Station, there's probably like, f- I think, 1,500. Okay, that's still a lot But that's, that's all the field teams, yeah. South Pole Station, whatever. But it's not that many. But yeah, I'm, I'm like turning my dishes in after my first day after I've gotten there. And that is a weird place. And like I'm turning my dishes in and there I pop up and there's Lisa like washing dishes. Like I, I got crazy. down there. I mean, you fly down on on C-130s, right? And it's like they only have enough fuel for one way. So there's a there's a boomerang point, a turnaround point that if there's any hint of weather or whatever, they turn around. So right. it took us like three attempts to get down there with wow. mechanicals and weather and all that stuff. And so by the time we finally get down, we arrive at like, I don't know. 1030 at night or something and it looks like noon because the sun's up you know we land on the sea ice which is weird because the (laughs) reflection of of the ice when it lands and stuff it's just a weird feeling and you get out and you're picked up by this massive bus with tires that are as tall as you if not taller and called Ivan the Terror Bus and then you you (laughs) get on it and they drive you up into camp and it was too late for dinner so we had to wait for the midnight dinner for the night shift and so we go, they're like, hey, drop your bags off, get your rooms, and then go to one of the three bars they have there. And there's bars in Antarctica. <laughs> there's a smoking bar, which is the fun one. Uh, there's a non-smoking bar, and then there's a wine bar that also serves as a coffee shop. And you ever hang out there? Uh, I, I watched uh, some movies there. Yeah, they oh, would show cool. movies. Um, so we go to the smoke- What movie did you watch in the wine bar in Antarctica? I watched uh, – I can't remember what it was. There was a, bi- a bicycle messenger documentary, and then I wa- watched uh, the <laughs> Werner Herzog movie about the uh, – because Werner Herzog, Werner Herzog was down there the next season. Oh, wow. I got offered a job down there in science support the next year, and I wanted to go down and take the job just so I could be there when Werner Herzog shot, was down there shooting his documentary that wow. was the next season okay so but we go to the we go to the the smoking bar we walk in it's like 11 o'clock at night or whatever on whatever day it must have been a weekend saturday or something and uh we walk into the bar and there's a reggae band playing <laughs> <laughs> no one would ever are you making this up no just, I, you're just making you this can't up. make this up i <laughs> i swear to god there was a fucking reggae band so what happens down there is all the people, the like locals, right, who work there, they go down and they have to like not go crazy. So there has to be, there's so many activities. So <laughs> there's room for so many more activities. They have like, they have like 50 Santa suits down there. They have instruments and whatever. They have like, they have unicycles and mountain bikes. They have skis and they, they do marathons and they do a oh. cyclocross race and they do... They do all these things. There's a rugby match against the Kiwis every year. You know, it's like there's stuff going on. Parties everywhere. I partied in the heavy machine shop. And the, there was an art show. I partied in the helicopter. I partied in a in a shipping container with a generator. Like, you, we made a hooch down there. Like, uh, <laughs> it's crazy. But we walk in and there's a fucking reggae Penguin band playing. I know. Uh, it was like strawberries and bananas and stuff. <laughs> It's a reggae band. Terrible. So all the people down there, they form up bands and stuff. It's like a little mini crazy scene. People do art and people form bands. You're making me want to go. It's rad. I mean, if you don't mind seeing the same however many people. There's also like everybody hooks up too down there. There's like they call it the ice wife or whatever. It's really weird. Everyone has an ice wife? Not everybody, but like, I mean, there's a lot of hooking up. 
So it's it's it's, it's a very weird small little scene. But yeah, they have shows. They have they have fucking bands and shows down there. <laughs> uh, that one band. No, nah, I can't even think what they're called. There was a band that was trying to get down there to play so they could say they played on every continent. No, oh, who cares? I think some bands have done that. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Fallout Boy. Oh, yeah. Were they, did they come down while you were there? I don't know. Not while I was there. <laughs> All right. I could, I, I, dude, if I had known about this, I think I would have wanted to make this podcast about Antarctica. You come back from there. Yeah. Where are you living now? Uh, I still Seattle at that point. I was working at the University of Washington uh, for the Pacific Northwest Seismic Network. It's the guys who do all the, whenever Mount St. Helens rumbles, they're the guys on there with the helicorders and stuff. I was a lab okay. guy there. So I would climb mountains and um, troubleshoot stations and stuff. It was cool. Uh, so I did that. And then um, and then after that, I can't remember what year it was, but uh, we moved down to Portland. Okay. Um, we just decided to move. We needed to go somewhere, change it up. And so we chose Portland, not too far away, whatever. My dad passed away. Like, uh, right before I went to Alaska, like 2005, which was right before I went to Antarctica. And so I sort of didn't really process anything. Like it was right before I went to Alaska. So my dad passes away and I sort of just did everything to take care of whatever I could and make sure everybody was cool and do what, I don't know, whatever. And then I left for three months to Antarctica or to uh, Alaska. Then I'm okay. back for a couple months and then I leave for three months to Antarctica and then did like three weeks in New Zealand after that. So I get back and then boom, my dad died and it hit me and I had to deal with all that. And so that was a really weird thing. And by the time I was getting through that, cause everybody else had already, they'd been here the whole time and right. had figured out how everything works. I missed the first Christmas without him cause I was in Antarctica. I missed, you know, all that stuff. And uh, so by the time I sort of, I don't know, got past it or enough past it to feel somewhat normal or whatever. I guess that was the point where it was like, well, maybe we should just go somewhere. Just moved for a change of scenery. and Yeah. Yeah. So moved to Portland. Too many memories in the old yeah, spot. Yeah. Moved to Portland, got a job, was doing environmental science work down there and was down there. And were you still playing music? No. Um, no. I, uh, I tried a couple times when I was down there. Um, and then, well, I did actually at one point. Yeah. I, I mean, I had tried with a couple people down there and nothing ever clicked. You know, it just wasn't you go and play and you're like, man, this guy really sucks. <laughs> or like, this is terrible and it's not worth it. And so you ditch. And uh, but no, I actually started doing a project when I was in Portland up here and I, uh, I had gotten laid off from, you know, the, the, I get, must've been like 2008 when everything hit and yeah. the, all that recession stuff and all the money was being pulled out of environmental. And I, you know, I remember when I was unemployed and, and there were so many engineers and, and whatever that had been laid off. So I was actually driving to Seattle, um, for months and months and months every Monday and doing like under the table remodel construction work up here. Cause I couldn't find any work down there. And so as I was doing that, I had started, I think I had started sending tapes back and forth with Joe Anderson. Um, I can't remember what, like, like he was sending files down and we were talking about whatever. And so we started, Joe was, was in Joe Don Baker in Joe Don Baker. Yeah. And, uh, so we were talking about music and he was sending me stuff that he was writing. And I, I think I was putting stuff and sending it back. I don't remember, 
but we decided to go for it because I was going up to Seattle. So I started bringing gear and we started a band with uh, Wes Reed from um, Eris and uh, a guy named Bo. And so the four of us started this band called Man Years and wrote a bunch of music and recorded. And that's out there, right? People can hear it? Yeah, yeah. You can you can find it. Just search for... Uh, I think the easiest way is searching for it on Facebook. I think there's still an account and you can actually... And then there's a link to downloading the record. It's I, I really like it. I was proud of it. Um, it was really different for what I'd ever done. And we worked a long time on it. And then we played one show and then it just sort of fell apart. And, what would you compare it to? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's like... There's, we listened to a lot of Neil Young at the time, but it's sort of like proggy too. And then the vocals are uh, like all falsetto. It's it's different, and it's I, I think it's pretty cool. It's got some classic vibe to it, seventies influenced prog stuff. Cool. So let's get you let's get you back to Seattle. Yeah, yeah. So I just moved back up maybe a year and a half ago. Um, I got divorced and, uh, needed a change and there wasn't really anything going on down there. I was doing, I was working in, uh, manufacturing engineering department at a manufacturing company doing CAD work and a little design stuff, process engineering stuff and, and, uh, wasn't really happy. And when, uh, when I started going through the divorce, I was like, what the fuck am I staying down here for? Like, I hate my job. I've got no prospects for a, a better job. Portland's really hard to find a job in. Yeah. And, uh, quite frankly, I just really fucking missed it up here and everybody I'd sort of ditched. Like when I went to school, I really stopped hanging out with a lot of people, just my own doing. It wasn't any bad blood or anything like that. I loved everybody, but I really just sort of separated so coming back was really nice and I came back up. I don't know. I didn't really reach out to everybody. I was kind of in a dark place. Um, yeah, but we, people would start seeing you around and well, start saying like, hey, well, it was Nate. Well, actually, yeah. I mean, a couple of people saw me around or, or had hints that I was there because I wasn't really doing much or going out. And, and But once people sort of heard the rumors or a couple people, I don't know. I mean, Jake was, Jake was a person who like reached out to me and was like, Hey, you know, I heard your back and whatever. And, and what you're going through, like I'm on tour, but let's hang out when I get back and sort of, it just sort of started from there. And so now you're back and now you're back playing music here again. Yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, I just started playing bass in a band called hand of the Hills that I'm really stoked on. Yeah. You, you gave me a copy of the CD tonight. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, I haven't heard it yet. I'm kind of excited too. really, really cool band, really, really great stuff. And, and we've got a new record that was recorded a little while ago. That's going to be coming out in a month or, or so uh, we're waiting for vinyl and stuff. And then, so we're sort of on a little break right now waiting for that to come up and then we'll, start pushing at it but it's really does fun. it uh does it bear any resemblance to music that you've done before no 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 very very different i mean it comes out of the mind of a mad uh rock genius named david totten who was in a band called the quiet ones okay and he's in probably my favorite seattle band called scriptures i don't know if anybody's heard of these guys they are so rad um instrumental band like think of earth but with more activity like a uh, little more going on and, cool. and kind of heavy and just fantastic. But yeah, he's a mad genius when it comes to rock and roll and stuff like that. And it's, it's very, um, 
it's it's got some classic rock elements too but it's it's very prog influenced and all that it's just it's just really great stuff and and it's all it's all those guys i mean i i i just started playing whatever you're it's fun yeah no no it's it's super fun it's it's gonna be fantastic but really excited about that and so you're planning to stay in the area oh yeah 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 you're back I love it here. I'm so excited to be back. You know, like uh, everyone, whether I kept in touch over years or didn't, I don't know. I mean, it's it's one of those things. We we you and I were talking about it before, and it's one of those things like those connections made even in '93, '94, '98, whatever it was. It was such a special time, and those connections are so strong and solid and whatever that even with a eight year break or something like that whether that was just me going radio silent or whatever you come back and it's like not a day has changed and it's just it's almost even stronger than it was and so much love and support and it's really well everybody has more perspective yeah and everything's not the end of the world no no and there's no way with all the people that we know and all the people we have known and have come through our lives there's no way to stay in touch as often as we'd like to Oh, like no, this, for sure. You, I feel like you just have to walk into any situation. If you haven't seen that person for a day or you haven't seen that person for a year, it's the same. Oh, yeah. You know, you, some people have this have this take that they haven't heard from you for a while. That means you're not as good of friends anymore. And that's just not that that may have been a reasonable point of view for a 22 year old. Right. But it's not a reasonable point of view for a grown ass adult. Who's sure. also a stunted punk rocker. Well, and it's also the thing too, where I, I feel like, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. We we all have those relationships where something went down or where yeah, something do you, didn't, and you know, maybe you don't even remember it. All something anymore. didn't something didn't end well or whatever, or maybe you didn't even. I mean, that's the thing. It's like there are people that maybe you didn't even like back then. You yeah. had a problem with or so, whatever it was, and now it's okay. You know, it's like. Yeah, some of some of those people turned out all right. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, I think I'm one of those people. I'm sure I'm one of those people. I think I turned out all right. You know? Whatever, I liked you. That, I put you in that crucial role in my film. Oh yeah, that crucial role. Let's talk about that. <laughs> Here's why your role is crucial. Because we had a problem with Rolo, <laughs> and if you want to stick around, we've got a problem with you too. <laughs> Something like your, that. Your, <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you said. <laughs> There was a bottle that got broken. That was a good part of the scene. But this is what the Hershey's scene. This is what your scene, your your specific scene, is about. It's about Rocky's character snapping and beating someone up. Oh yeah, and it's specifically because Rocky's character is all about making peace. That's why you chose making me, peace. wasn't it? Yes. No, because I thought you would be a, play an asshole really well. <laughs> See, that's so flattering. <laughs> you did really well. I, I think right. I, ta- I think I that was probably the pitch. I need someone to be a, get out of the car and be I an had, asshole. Man, you don't even know how many roles I had to turn down after that. <laughs> Talk about launching a career I didn't <laughs> even want. But the point is, though, Rocky has to. We had to see that Rocky. I pushed him over the edge. He didn't want to fight, not because he didn't, he couldn't fight, but because he was really good at it and wanted to do something better than that. That was the that was my idea in the writing. This character has to kick someone's ass, and he was really good at it because I was instructed to take the beating. <laughs> <laughs> I had no choice in the matter. You did, you did a good job, though. You got kicked a little bit. Well, the, yeah, the, I was uh, like in fetal position with a pillow, and they were kicking the pillow, if I remember correctly. You, oh, that was a pillow. Not I, to give away the the movie magic, 
And the blood was Hershey's syrup because it was black and white. Yes, that's true. Now, and then who was in the scene with you? Who drug you back to the car? Aaron Dooley was one of the punks with me. Aaron Dooley and John Batchelor. That's right. Yeah. John Batchelor's old car. Yep. That's right. That like uh, Dotson. And so they dragged your knocked out body back to the old car. Threw me in and we drove away. Drove away. And Aaron Edge runs up alongside the car and throws another punch in through the window and almost gets his leg run over. That's right. Yeah, he and did. If you watch the movie, I, I was terrified. I'm filming it and it's it, one of the scariest oh, it's things. Close. It's because close. Because it's, it's an inch. It's close. His leg almost goes under the car. Yep. You know what's funny about that movie is that movie pops up in the weirdest places. Where did it pop up for you? Oh, several places. It popped up, I mean, even recently. Like, uh, I mean, it popped up, like, I remember, I can't remember if it was on tour or or a trip down after tour, but I remember Chris Smith, who ran Redwood Records, still a dear friend, like, going down, being in California. And I, like I said, I can't remember if it was on tour, but it was like, queued up on vhs in the vcr when we got there or like uh, your scene was uh yeah well the, the yeah the movie and the scene like we had to watch it it was re- and i was just like come on no and but then like even most recently like it's it's reached a lot of weird people like i figured it would just be people you know like our community but but no like um like my my girlfriend uh lived in new york for several years just just moved out recently and she her roommate, um, who's punk rocker out in New York City, has no connection to the Seattle scene that I know of or that we discussed or whatever. She has a copy of it. And so it's like it's at it's at the house. Like I get out to New York and it's there. You know, it's just bizarre. Well, there are there are thousands of copies of it in existence. No, I know. I know. Well, and, and I think <laughs> and I got I got heard... mine when I was in Portland. Remember, <laughs> like you mailed me one just yeah. just like within the last four years now. Now, you heard Rocky say that he got stopped in Spain. That's what he said, it. yeah. Uh, and then Maddie was in here the other day, and uh, she said that she's been she's been recognized in Germany. She's been recognized various different places because she travels around a sure, lot. Sure, sure. And I, it's, I, it blows Well, those mind, are beautiful you know? people. So, you know, I mean, they're going to be picked out. I do agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, it's just it's, it's kind of weird because in, if we lived in, in reality – that no one would that wouldn't it wouldn't exist like it doesn't matter that there's 2000 copies circulating or whatever it is no, no, like no. no one would recognize anybody no. no one would care the stupid little video thing that some people made but it does keep popping up oh, i like, think it's yeah i think it's awesome i mean my my best memory of the whole thing shooting was really funny because if oh, you'll recall every day was a blast. we shot in the morning and i felt it was very important to be in character. So it was like nine in the morning and I and like I think Dooley and I were splitting a forty of malt liquor or something to try and get into character, you know, at like so. nine in the morning. And uh but then my but my favorite memory was the premiere. What, what that was at like the El Gaucho Theater or whatever it was. Whatever it's, that a, it's a little theater called the Big Picture. It's yeah. underneath El Gaucho. Yeah, right now. under El Gaucho. And that was the best thing ever because it, if you'll recall like Everybody who was in the movie and whatever, you know. And like my parents and my grandmother. Partners, family, whatever, were there. And it was just a big party. And everybody's like cheering and laughing and clapping at all the stuff because we're all watching ourselves everything and each you, other. Everything you went through for and all there's, that time. Yeah, and there's, the, and there's all the memories of that. Yeah, like drinking at nine in the morning to get in <laughs> character for this silly fake fight. And like me arguing with you, like, do I really have to say that line that way? You know, like... That was the number one thing that happened to me is no one but Maddie had read the script all the way through. 
Oh, I hadn't read anything. Well, yeah, you know, but even I the, said like two lines. Even my main characters had not read the script, yeah. so no one knew what was going to happen in all these different scenes that I was filming. Right. So people would object to lines, yeah, and I'd say, "But you're, it's important. You're referencing like I didn't have. A, I thought everything was important because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. You know, of course. So I, I thought if if that doesn't get delivered exactly like that, it won't make sense ten minutes from now. Sure, sure. <laughs> Well, I remember saying to you, like, because I didn't know any of the story or anything. I showed up for my stuff. And I remember, like, really not wanting to use the name Rolo. (laughs) (laughs) the character's name? I know, but I was like, come on, there's no way he's named Rolo. (laughs) Like, do I really have to call him Rolo? (laughs) Yes. No, of course. I mean, it's the character's <laughs> name, but I, I just remember having a problem with that. It might have been the malt liquor, too. I don't remember. It could have been the malt liquor talking. All right. Um, so basically, we got to bail out of here, but I got to want to give you an opportunity to talk about anything that didn't get talked about or, or promote anything or any whatever you want to say Man, at the I, end, I, at the conclusion. I don't know. I uh, I don't really have anything to promote or say about that. I, I don't you know. Did, we I, did. You did talk about your band and the record to, coming out. Yeah, so sure, cool. sure. Um, yeah, I don't need to hype anything. This has been fun. I mean, I think I, oh, I will say, uh, probably not eloquently, but like I think this. You know, you and I talked about this prior. I keep saying that as well, but because um, I want to prove that we talk. But uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I think this is really, really a neat thing. I, I'm, I was excited to and and honored to be a part of it. I, I don't know. I just, I listened to the first one and the second one so far, and I love the concept of going back and talking about all these things sort of compartmentally with different people and filling in gaps. And, and I, I don't know, it's just, it was a really special and important time, at least to me. And I know to a lot of other people. And, uh, I think it's a good time, at least in my life to go back and rehash all that stuff and, and bring it back up. And I'm really excited to hear the rest of them. Well, awesome. man! I'm excited to do them. And I'm, I'm just, it's, you know, if it's nothing else, it's an excuse to sit down with an old friend, learn a few things I didn't know about him, and you know, try to pull this these murky memories out of the out of the past. We're gonna have to turn it around and find out some Dave Larson dirt. Oh, it'll, it'll all come out. Trickle out. It trickles out over the course of the whole thing. I'm the one guy on every episode. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming out. Man. Yeah, thank you. This was fun. It, Alright, there it is. Episode number five. Thanks for coming all this way. Some news that has happened uh, since we just recorded this a couple weeks ago. Nate talked about being in the band Hand of the Hills and uh, actually he just today gave me a copy of their vinyl for their new LP and it's beautiful. It's a phenomenal record. It's a big deal. It's very cool. But I also just found out that Nate has joined Eris on second guitar now. So he's going to be reunited with Wes Reed, who he was playing with uh, in the band that he mentioned in the podcast, Man Years. And I went ahead on the website on nobody'snose.com and I linked to some Eris stuff and to the Man Years stuff that he talks about. Just go to the post for this episode and scroll down and you'll find that stuff. It's really good. You should check it out, the stuff that he's done and is doing now. He's really got it going on now that he has returned to Seattle, returned to the fold. Um, and it's I, I find it very exciting. Um, 
corrections. Uh, it's funny because Nate and I talked earlier today and I told him I didn't think there were any, but in listening back, I realized that I did make a mistake. Uh, when he was talking about being into the band ABC when he was a kid, and I said, oh yeah, be near me, quoting one of their songs. And then I said, King for a Day. And come on, we, we know that King for a Day is not an ABC song. It's a Thompson Twins song. So how can I be so dumb? You know, you just get caught up in the moment and you make these embarrassing mistakes that really call uh, your, your credibility into question. And so, uh, you know, I'm ashamed, really. And I hope, I just, I hope you can all forgive me. Um, anyway, uh, I hope that you will keep listening. Um, we've got another episode coming up uh, with... Ron Gardapi from Brotherhood. He's going to be the next guy posted. That'll be episode six. Please do check out nobody'snose.com and uh, check us out on iTunes. Rate and review us if you would. That's really, really good for us if we get good reviews and good ratings on there. iTunes will basically make us more visible to more people and we'd really like more people to listen. And follow us on Twitter at nosynobody because there's going to be a lot of different stuff coming along here with the site and with the podcast, and hopefully soon with some more different podcasts from different people with different points of view. So uh, we'd like to be able to get that information out to everybody. All right, see you next time. Thanks. This podcast is a product of the Nobody's Knows Podcast Network. Executive Producers, David R. Larson and K. Drake Streetman. Music for this episode provided by Polymorph from the record Artifacts, Demos, and Debris. 